I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Be Good and Rewatch It, a Waypoint podcast where we take a close look at movies and television and examine their themes, craft, and relationship to our own times. This week, we're seeing whether we can handle the truth, universally acknowledged, <laughs> that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. That's right, we are once again making the journey back to 1995, this time to revisit the BBC's landmark production of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, starring Colin Firth Kira and uh, I thought we covered this uh, at the end of the Clueless episode. Um, Natalie, no. you didn't you didn't watch the Kira Knightley thing again, did you? No, I thought we were watching that. <laughs> no, we're watching like this thing's like six hours. I watched it six times. <laughs> they're different Was adaptations. They're entirely. They're they, not. Oh, they both okay. say I love you most ardently in it, though. Um. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> there's, there's like similar, like all the characters' names are the same. Yeah, Darcy's sure. there. <laughs> Great. Uh, so we're also uh, Natalie's going to be quiet, I guess, uh, for most of the show. Let me speak. Uh, and we're also joined at the Waypoint Estate by Danielle Riendo. Good day, sir. Good day, Miss Riendo. <laughs> uh, so. Last week, we talked about Clueless, uh, Amy Heckerling's modern ad- adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma, which became an unlikely summer hit in 1995. That fall, however, the Austen renaissance of that year would have its landmark moment with the broadcast of writer Andrew Davies and director Simon Langton's six-part Pride and Prejudice miniseries. Six-part miniseries, Natalie. <laughs> oh, 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 I actually did watch that. Oh, Good. Fantastic. I'm so six, happy. Did you watch it six times? I did not. Okay. I right. watched one of the episodes twice. <laughs> good. The first one with good. my roommate. Good. But uh, yeah, not They're six all times. good episodes. They're all worth. They They're are. all worth uh, watching I, a this, thousand times. <laughs> this might be like my eighth time through it. Who knows? Um, anyway. Uh, there's an entire conversation to be had about what it was exactly about 1995 that caused it to be the year of Jane Austen. It was, uh, I was born. I think given that, that was it. That was in celebration. <laughs> you really were uh, <laughs> in celebration of my birth. All Hollywood was just like Jane Austen time, baby. Were you really born in 1995? I was really born in 1995. Wow. But it is a weird 90s like phenomenon, like mid nineties phenomenon yeah. of like these adaptations. Well, and it centers on that year. Like in my head, they happen at different times, but that same winter, um, the Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, uh, sense and sensibility oh, is also right. in wow. theaters. Like everything. I thought this entire phenomenon lasted years. It really mostly happens in 1995. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really strange thing. And I think there's a good conversation to be had about uh, what made what made Austin so in vogue at that moment and how other adaptations uh, approached uh, both the challenge of adapting Austin and also adapting some of her less uh, popular works. Uh, I think there's also a good uh, discussion to be had maybe about what brought the craze to an end and whether the 2005 Pride and Prejudice marked a point of diminishing returns or was simply a strong finish to a cultural phenomenon that had run its course uh, by that point. I am sure uh, apparently that Natalie <laughs> will have a great deal of feelings uh, about that. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about our relationship to this uh, miniseries. Uh, so you're both first timers yes. to this Pride and Prejudice? Yes. Yes, to this one. <laughs> okay. I I was not a Jane Austen fan. I, I will I will put this out there. Uh, my only real uh, sort of uh, relationship to Austen was through '90s adaptations and 2000s adaptations of things. I had not seen this one before, uh, but otherwise, just reading Austen in high school and being dreadfully bored. <laughs> it just was not my cup of tea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will stop. Um, but no, I. I um, just to say briefly, I, I went into this uh, not necessarily having high expectations because of previous Austin experience being pretty, you know, both juvenile, you know, 17 reading Jane Austen and just not really in the right mm-hmm. headspace for it. And also just not having that much awareness of it outside of, of you know, sort of reading required by high school English. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. Um, my sort of introduction to it was when I was in middle school, I like devoured Pride and Prejudice, the book. And, um, since I have not read it since like since a decade, but I read it a bunch of times when I was younger and, uh, the Pride and Prejudice movie with Kira Knightley, <laughs> um, is one of my most watched movies of all time. I've seen it probably upwards of like a hundred times uh, because I used to watch so that, it. That's like, your mastering commander. Yeah. It, wow. is, yeah. it is like every night I would watch it to like go to sleep or yeah. whenever I was like in a mood, that would be like the one thing that I would like go to. And this is like years and years of my life. And my mom and I like both would watch this movie like repeatedly together um i'm curious is your love of that movie in dialogue with the fact that you love the book as a kid are they kind of two different experiences in your head do they occupy different like intellectual and emotional space they're kind of two different experiences i think especially because i have such a limited memory of the book itself i more have a memory of like the experience of reading it and how like enraptured Mm -hmm. i was by it um, and then the 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 film became like this like like further like this visual representation of that that I was like so attached to because I was like oh I love this book like I love this book so much that I'm gonna watch the movie over and over again <laughs> if that makes sense um, because and and I think there's very something very specific about the score and the cinematography of the of the film Pride and Prejudice that like completely like captured me and and just like wrapped me up in this like English countryside like romantic picturesque uh uh setting that's just like 
you know uh the the way that like the op- one of the scene in which like uh uh Kira is like or or uh, Elizabeth is walking to um see her sister Jane at Mr. Bingley's house she it's like super pulled back and it's like you have like this one huge tree in the left and you just see this like little ant like walking across <laughs> like this a like, gorgeous landscape and so it's so interesting to have watched the film and now be coming to the the uh, BBC series because I just feel like I'm completely zoomed in, which is mm. fascinating. And I mean, like the the film is like is has wit and there's like charm and and but it's very sort of I don't know what the right word for it is it's like all very dressed it's like very hollywood it's like very sure, dressed up sure. and and like presented to you on this like silver platter and so it's like there's not as much sort of of the letting go that you get in the series where i'm like holy shit like the characterization here is just so and like it makes sense the movie's two hours the series is six hours yeah. Um, but the fact that I was like able to like sort of revisit the experience I had of reading the book and honestly, after we finish this, I'll probably go back and read the book again, um, because of how much detail I'm reminded of, of the, the, the like side characters and like people other than, you know, Lizzie, Jane, Bingley and Darcy, like they're just like so like pulled out and just like so in depth and it's so fucking funny like it's just so and it's like it's what that like when I read the book I was like in that sort of like wrapped up in like the romance of the of the of the language and of of you know um the the cadence and and tone and everything like that and I did it I wasn't I was super young I was like you know what like 12 or 13 when I was reading this book I wasn't really in it for like the the wit and and I didn't really catch that when I was reading it and so seeing this I'm like fuck I need to go back and and reread this book and like appreciate that aspect of Jane Austen's voice that is what differentiates her from you know the like her contemporaries like that wit is like so crucial to who she is and like I was just kind of too young to to really appreciate it so well, I think the series definitely teases out a lot of the humor in, in the characterizations mm-hmm. that's there, mm-hmm. but that you might not totally pick up from uh, a, a writing style that I think is just a little bit drier uh, yeah. than we're used to today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so as I said, like I've watched this way too many fucking times. Um, <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> I am. I'm going to own up front mm-hmm. that, like Colonel Fitzwilliam. At some point, I'm probably going to need to shut the fuck up during this <laughs> during this podcast episode. But I just have too much knowledge and feelings in my head, and I'm just going to like like I've been wanting to have this conversation uh, basically since we pitched "Be Good" and rewatch it. So, I know. I'm so happy bu- that we're here. <laughs> buckle up! You're my hostages now. Yay! Um, I, I have I have shown up to uh, uh, like Jane Bennett. I've shown up to uh, to Netherfield, and I'm just here now. I live here. Um, <laughs> But I think one of the things that's really struck me going back to the show today is I was expecting it to be much more for me. I was expecting it to age more poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've become much more critical since I was most into the series. It's been a number of years since I watched it. I was expecting a lot of its characterizations to maybe seem 
dated or mm-hmm. a bit oblivious. And what is sort of being driven home to me as I watch this is, no, the show isn't oblivious, but when I watched it, I often was. Uh, mm-hmm. And I suspect a lot of the people who, I think a lot of the reasons that this adaptation is famous and a lot of the things people fell in love with it uh, for are problematic. And there is critique in the text that I think sometimes gets forgotten mm. uh, in favor of some really key landmark moments uh, in the series. And I think that is present from the, from almost the opening mm. minutes of this adaptation. Uh, it's a very funny series and that can cause us to overlook some extremely real context that's laid down at the start of the story. Mm-hmm. It, it opens on uh Mr. Bingley and uh, his friend Darcy deciding, fuck it, let's rent this giant country manor uh, in this in this rural backwater of, yeah. of England. It's so fascinating that the series chooses to open up with them first um, because like you're they're they're your first introduction into what this world is and like who's a part of it. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, and like other the the film and the book like you're you're introduced to Lizzie first and you know you you are like walking around her house with her she's like talking to her family and so the fact that like the series chooses to like set this like I think the series does a really good job of like setting class distinctions um and it, even in like down to like dress and like how people like you can tell the like material of the Bennett family's clothes is like less than um, the material of like the clothes that the Bingleys and the Darcys are wearing, and that their is house like, is a little dirty. It's like a little <laughs> dirty. Like everything's just like a. And it's not. But you also get you know the people outside. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, which I can wait on. But um, the when you're in the first sort of like uh d- dance hall scene or whatever, the first ball, the first uh. <laughs> I don't know. Meriton ball. Yeah, the Meriton ball. Many balls. Yeah, yes. many balls. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you get there's like a small clip of uh, or like a small uh, a cut to uh, all the people outside the ball who are also drinking and like getting drunk and like falling in like pig troughs or <laughs> or horse troughs or whatever, and and so like they you 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 know that the Bennets aren't like the lowest rung of the social ladder they like have some status but it's like it's like yeah it's it's like a country it's like the countryside status Mm. which is just like supposed to be less varied than in town like it's just (laughs) you know it's 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 a little less than and it's like in those details that it becomes so much more clear than when i was watching you know and reading but when i was watching the the Keira Knightley one, it's like everything's so dressed up and extravagant and like everyone looks beautiful and everyone, you know, has these like incredible costumes and things. And that that distinction was a little bit harder for me to see. And so you're immediately sort of like put in 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 like like come to this understanding of like, oh, no, there is a distinction here. There is like a difference between each of these like sort of families. If, if I may. I always read that, and I always read sort of especially 90s BBC productions as being a little less extravagantly budgeted in certain ways. Like, I I will always sort of see the BBC productions of something as being 
a little more real, a little more rough hewn than a Hollywood extravagant, you know, overly produced production, even down to sort of the way actors look. Actors in a lot of BBC productions look like people. They look like human beings. They might yeah. be beautiful people. And I, I know Colin Firth is obviously Mr. Sex God himself. But, you know, it's it's sort of like, oh, people look like human beings in a lot of these things. And that's something I've always appreciated about these sort of, I, I don't know the actual budget, but this is sort of a general sense I get aesthetically that like, oh, this is this is meant to look like human beings versus Hollywood gods and goddesses sort mm-hmm. of prancing around the screen in yeah. certain ways. That's very true. Yeah. Um, I think... There's an element of this is this is one of the things that I think is maybe a little harder to parse for modern audiences. And I think this is one of the things that makes this adaptation so smart is this idea that uh, we are not used to making these sort of nuanced class distinctions in a lot of our media by this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the the idea that you had and I, I think this is the one of the central focuses of a lot of Austin's work is that. You have a society that's ostensibly bifurcated between like common folk and uh, like bourgeois tradespeople and then uh, gentle folk. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, that's kind of the extent of the distinction. And gentle folk are all to a degree largely peers of one another. But within that, there's all these hmm. actual distinctions as to like who's really rich, who's just kind of grandfathered into the class. Mm-hmm who's newly rich, all these things matter and change how people interact with each other. And also there is the problem, and this is where we find the Bennetts, there are people who are basically in the process of falling out of that class. Mm. Um, But being like gentle, poor aristocrats, it doesn't allow you to necessarily, it's, it's hard to, live within those means it's hard it like it's a society that denies downward social mobility i guess Mm -hmm. is the thing i'd say like the entire the entire thing is predicated on the fact that like oh gentle people don't work right they Mm -hmm. they they have their estate they have their uh they have their property they're they're fine and that's actually not remotely true uh for a lot of people who fit into this class and this is especially front of mind for the bennett family uh, who we meet in this opening, in this opening sequence as Lizzie uh, returns home, and it's a, it's a very effective sequence at introducing us to the entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really begins laying down the stakes from the first with a conversation between uh, Elizabeth Bennett and her older sister Jane Bennett, uh, mm-hmm. who is you know we are told repeatedly and also in the book uh, that she is. The gorgeous, charming one uh, of the family that like the sweetest disposition. Yes. (laughs) And they have a conversation uh, about this news that this new guy, uh, Mr. Bingley, has come into the neighborhood, rented Netherfield Hall. And their mother is very eager for them to be sort of thrown into the path of this rich guy Mm -hmm. uh, to see if maybe he might be interested in marrying one of them. And that is desperately important for this family because the estate will not be inherited by members of the female line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Without a male heir, this family will pass to whatever other branch of this, this estate will pass to whatever other branch of the family has a male heir. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Bennett and all the Bennett sisters will immediately kind of in, at a stroke be dropped from this class if they do not have 
uh, an eligible match made by then. And there's a really interesting conversation between Lizzie and Jane about this that I think it's, it's good exposition, but I think the thing that struck me, I'm curious what you guys make of this. I had never detected before the degree to which Lizzie is like, she puts a lot on Jane at the start of the story. (laughs) She basically says up front, I believe in romantic love. I'm not going to marry anybody that I'm not, not head over heels for. Mm -hmm. So I sure hope you with all your beauty and manners can sort this out for the family because I ain't doing shit. (laughs) You got to take it like that. That is basically what she tells Jane. Yeah. And Jane's really sweet. She's not going to be like, she is not the character to ever turn to somebody and be like, what? Uh. <laughs> what, are you, you're, what are you doing to me here? Yeah. But at the same time, that's kind of how it feels at the start, right? That like Lizzie is very independent, but her ind- independence is kind of coming at the cost to like the pressure she's going to put on her more matchable sister. Yeah, I think there's just I think it's, you know, she sees Jane as like Jane could can fall in love with not I don't want to say fall in love with anybody, but it's like she's she's amicable enough that if she meets someone also kind, that they will be fine. And so when she hears, I guess the you know the the news of Mr. Bingley, she's like, you have like I am the most you know you know sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Like Lizzie is the most like will will come at will come to a head to like other people if spirited. they're not yeah she's like yeah spirited and like and like kind of abrasive and like because she's because she's like confident in herself in what she wants she doesn't care to to marry for love uh, or for for you know status or for security she wants to marry for love and is like comfortable in that decision but it hinges on the fact that she will somehow be supported by her older sister. Hmm. Like if if all there's no sort of question of, well, what if Jane doesn't, you know, meet someone? What if Jane doesn't, you know, get thrown into the rich man's path and he doesn't fall immediately in love in love with her? And it's just like it's it's an obvious. And I don't know if that's like a compliment to Jane in the sense that like she is just so lovable that like anyone who meets her will <laughs> will fall in love with her because she's just like such a good person and or is it like I don't know you're the pretty one you're nice you got to you got to take one for the whole team <laughs> all five of us and just and just do the thing Think of England. Think of England. Think, yeah. think of England. little Arya Sansa yeah. stuff going obviously it came much later but yeah it was funny uh, because, first of all, uh, briefly I'll say again, I didn't have high expectations necessarily going into this. Not high expectations for the product itself but or the, the piece itself, but more of my own enjoyment of it. But I was immediately like, oh, good. Uh, they have a pretty cynical view of marriage here. The text itself has a pretty cynical view of marriage and gender dynamics already, and it's setting that up already. Cool. I'm. I'm somewhat. I'm at least somewhat on board with this. It also sort of weirdly personally reminded me of the way um, my own mother kind of put like certain pressure on. On I have a sister, and it was like a, all right, who's going to get married and have a baby? 
like, all right, no hope for for Celeste necessarily, even though she's the hetero. So I got a lot of the pressure, uh, sort of at least in my earlier 30s, about like, oh, Danielle seems to be the more maternal one. Let's kind of put the, the grandchild pressure on her a little bit. And in a sort of funny way, my mom obviously was not like, take one for the team, mm-hmm. asshole, or anything <laughs> like that. But it was like a slightly... I sort of connected with these characters immediately because of that, because of this sort of like family pressure sure is a real thing forever and always will be. And like I'm I'm immediately sort of drawn to these characters because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not just like it's not just the overt pressure of we need you to marry well. Yeah. There's also and this is established as well. There's such a believable family dynamic here yeah. in that. All of these kids have been put in different boxes yeah, by their it's parents like, and by one another. A hundred percent. It's like her destiny. It is like, this is what you're made for. Like, this is your yeah. role in this family. And and it, it's so obvious, like, where the futures of each of these characters are supposed to lie. Um, or, or, you know, it's it's just... It's it's and they're like they're all under, you know, 20 years old. Right. Right. It's the other thing that and this leaped out much more at me uh, in this viewing. So the performance of Mrs. Bennett. uh, Gosh, let me pull up the uh, the cast here. Um, Yeah. yeah, So Alison Stedman is this legendary portrayal of Mrs. Bennett. Uh, Just dramatic. Um, just utterly lacking in self-awareness. It's it's a tremendous performance. It is cranked all the way up to 11. Uh, it is like take a ridiculous character in the book and make her even more ridiculous in this adaptation. It's perfect. But she's kind of presented as a frustrating foil or an obstacle in a lot of ways for this family. And I found myself taken aback by the degree to which I was suddenly sympathetic watching this for her. Like, she is given no help by Mr. Bennett. Like he is such a dog shit husband and father <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like there are ways he's like anyone. He's very mixed, but I was taken aback in the opening by the degree to which he is utterly disdainful of everyone in his family, yeah. utterly disdainful of his daughters. Yeah. Openly calls them stupid. Uh, yeah. In he's the, like the silliest girls in all of England. And then, except for Lizzie. Yeah. And Lizzie's the one he sees himself in. The the box he's put her in is she's the most like me. She's the she's the clever one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the others are kind of dummies. And he's also really uninterested in Mrs. Bennett knows she has to play the game. She might play it really badly. Yeah. But she is aware that there are like economic stakes to this marriage market game mm-hmm. that like they have to buy in. And Mr. Bennett's whole attitude is, eh, I'm above society. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to be in my study. You guys sort this out. And it's not my problem. Uh, And I was just really taken aback by the degree to which uh, all these kids have kind of been, have gotten different attention and have been put in these different boxes. But it was also striking to me the degree to which – the neglectful parenting and the irresponsible parenting in that house is like palpable in the mm-hmm. opening minutes of the series. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think so many of, of, you know, uh, the Mrs. Bennett's like anxieties are just like 
out there for like ever, like probably for their whole lives have been out there to hear. After five girls, she was like, "Well, this is it. Like, this is what I have to work with for you know the next rest of my life." And and Mr. Bennett is is it's such a it's such a frustrating. You know, I think in the it's so hard for me for, to come from the film that is like everything is like. I think dressed up a little bit for so that everything is more amicable. Like all of the relationships you like see there's like a bright side to them and and it's not as like like obvious where the mm-hmm. the shitty parts are. Like a lot of is a lot of it is obscured and a lot of it is is sort of left out. Mm-hmm. And so seeing this Mr. Bennett, it's like he is just like completely checked out. And like his like his his joy and like content in sort of like tugging at the strings of like his wife's anxieties about the future of like their household and these kinds of things is like it's like this this whole show like the number one thing for me was like the number one word I kept coming back to was like excruciating (laughs) there's like so much of this that is like there's like these tugs at strings that are like obvious anxieties or obvious it's just like excruciating to watch and and that was like a huge like my respect points for Mrs. Bennett went up like a gajillion (laughs) because you know, she she's always kind of seen as this like caricature of like, you know, oh, the the silly, the silly woman who's so preoccupied with marriage and status and in, you know, making connections and things like that. And it's like, no, no, no. She's like preoccupied with like the future of her children and like finding them security. And and that's what marriage, like when there's a point at which, and we'll get to this later, there's a point at which a character refers to, and I think it happens a lot, but uh, refers to marriage as the marriage state. Like mm-hmm. it is like a state of being. It is a state of security. It is a state of, you know, of, of, you know, uh, uh, solidifying a future. It is no, it is nothing more than that. It is not like any sort of uh, uh, love or affection is like ornamentation. It's not what marriage is. Marriage is a contract. And um, and she's super cognizant of that. Mrs. Bennett is super cognizant of that. And that's what she's that's what she's going after. Um so it gave me a lot more respect for, you know, seeing seeing specifically Miss, Mrs. Bennett in opposition to Mr. Bennett gave me so much more respect. Without sort of the Mr. Bennett there, I think you would lose a lot of this. But beca- because you have this sort of like dynamic between them, it just show it brings her out so much more as as this active agent within you know the the lives of her daughters in sort of this somewhat positive I mean (laughs) way kind of that's that's one question I had about this and about this whole portrayal throughout the series is whether it's somewhat unintentional on the on the part of the show itself that it's unintentionally like I I I wonder and I you know I've only seen it once I have seen the whole thing I will talk about that later uh but (laughs) I couldn't stop watching and I kind of went through the whole thing but uh speaking specifically of the of the opening here and also just of this characterization did they just kind of play this for laughs and this is an unintentional benefit 
of having her character be this exaggerated and Mr. Bennett be the sort of, are we supposed to side with him? Again, I, I've only seen it once, yeah. so people I, who are more familiar with the text, are we supposed to kind of side with him as the disgruntled husband who's heard so much of her shit and she's so ridiculous? Or was this sort of a smart, subtle choice on the part of the showrunners? I don't know. I'm just I posing this question. I think it's in Jane Austen's text. Okay. Like, I think, I think this is just... You know, the visualization of that. Sure. Um, I think Jane Austen writes her characters like very purposefully and like her characters serve very specific roles and, and they're like they have comedy to them. But the comedy is is like intentional. It's not just, you know, s- silliness and in, in like it has a purpose to it. Um and I would say there's an element of sympathy to a lot mm-hmm. of these portrayals. Mm-hmm. Like I think genuinely, like having read the book and watched this bunch of times, <clears throat> I think we are supposed to maybe identify and sympathize with Mr. Bennett a little bit more because we predominantly have Lizzie's lens on all of this. Mm-hmm. And for all Mr. Bennett's faults, he sure is the reason Lizzie is who she is and has sort of the freedom to basically fuck off and do whatever she wants. <laughs> uh, and so to a degree, like there is a good side to what he has accomplished as a parent, but there's, a, and there's also a point where it's made pretty explicit where later on he has sort of a moment of self-reflection where he realizes like, I think I might've fucked all of this up. Like <laughs> yeah. I might be a bad and irresponsible father and head of the family. Mm-hmm. And he has this moment, and he's not wrong. And I think that's kind of where we're – like, they are both kind of disasters as parents. They are certainly <laughs> disasters uh, as a couple. I also think, despite that, they, ha- they have both ended up accomplishing some important things for their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's – what I like what, what I like about this rendition is that I think it's very easy to read – Mrs. Bennett as kind of the villain and kind of identify with Mr. Bennett being kind of sardonic and detached about the entire endless drama and sort of out of control feeling of the home. Mm-hmm. But I think it's there. I think him being a bad husband and that tugging you mentioned, Natalie, that like the way he needles his yeah. wife and daughter, like it is uncomfortable. And yeah. I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's so funny because I think on you know when you when you watch this in the context of today you're like drawn to sort of immediately see the mother as this sort of like almost like uh playing into the the patriarchy like playing into patriarchal norms like even at times like misogynist and and things like that and like i think it's like a an extremely gendered thing that we're like drawn to criticize mm. you know the fact that Mrs. Bennett is working in this structure to make the best of it. And we see, you know, Mr. Bennett as sort of like excluding himself from it as, you know, sort of, you know, doing something. I don't, it's not better, but it's like, it's being, yeah, it's like being above it. It's like, oh, at least Mr. Bennett like excuses himself from all this nonsense. And it's like, no, Mr. Bennett is like, like both of you have said before, like constantly criticizing his daughters for even if it's in jest like constantly calling them you know the silliest girls and like silly like has a very specific meaning here that is not just like oh that's silly it's like no you guys are fucking like ridiculous like you are making a fool of yourselves all the time and they are they are like the two young the two 
the two younger daughters, uh, Kitty and Lydia, are absolutely ridiculous and absolutely silly and just have no, like, no conception of how to move about in this sort of society. And just, like, they just sort of are roaming free. And And Mary's is ridiculous, too, because in reaction to that, she's like, damn, my sisters are absurd. My thing is going to be the most pious killjoy of yep. the entire family. <laughs> yeah. It's every she's every bit as lacking in self-awareness. But yep. she yeah, but she also wants the attention. Like she she's not so pious and austere that she's like meant to hide in the shadows. Like she like is extremely vocal and like will get up at the fucking party and play a song or two and <laughs> and and it is incredible. And and so it's it's fascinating to me that like when we come to the introduction of these two characters that, you know, were immediately drawn to criticize criticize Mrs. Bennett and sort of like revere Mr. Bennett for his, you know, for his uh, uh exempting cool. himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think I think Mr. Bennett is like really the more fucked one in this in this <laughs> case. Like he like they're both every like given, you know, Given the context of where this takes place and everything and given what the relationship to marriage is and things like that, like given all of that, I think Mr. Bennett is really just making an ass more of an ass of himself. And we should like hold him more accountable than we do Mrs. Bennett, just because she's like over the top and, you know, like agonizing all the time over her like poor nerves and things like that. Like it's like an easy (laughs) it's an easy thing to just write her off for as this like nervous wreck. And it's like, no, no, I would be a fucking nervous wreck, too, (laughs) if I had no idea the civility of my future. So, Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we will take a quick break there uh, before we get to the introduction of the other half of the story and its major characters. Uh, So we're going to duck out for a second and pay some bills. (laughs) And then we will be back to visit the Meriton Ball. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so uh, the first meeting we have with Mr. Bingley and his mysterious friend, Mr. Darcy, Mm. is at the Meriton Ball. Uh, Meriton is the town uh, near uh, Longbourn, yeah, where uh, where the Bennets live. It is again clearly kind of a charming back English backwater uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, and the Meriton Ball is it has the feeling of just a country, a, a, you know, a country dance. It's uh, a small room. Is. Yep. 
there's it, like not it's like the vfw hall of <laughs> oh Meriton. it is oh that's perfect or like a church hall like yeah, yeah. it's like extremely the For church Catholics. basement yeah. yeah it's like extremely you know the like jewish community center yeah. it is like yeah. it is very much like the local sort of community like establishment that that for the middle class or what mm-hmm. we would call the middle class right mm-hmm. i again yeah. i i i don't i'm not that familiar with this period in history so i sort of almost saw like a oh there's there's the working class middle class upper class and there's many and echelons like, in between but it's probably called something very different in this actual time period or considered like something the, different the upper middle class but the difference between upper middle class and upper class is huge Massive. gotcha yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's what i would kind of say okay i think well i I think the american ball is interesting because it's a ball where you're going to see this sort of uh codified upper class mingling with what you call the middle class of Mm -hmm. like again tradespeople Mm -hmm. uh, and such so we're going to meet more people that i think would be long to what's explicitly the middle class of this era which is like lawyers Mm. prosperous you know shop owners Mm -hmm. and such Mm -hmm. they kind of occupy the middle class here because they have good professions but Oh no, they have professions. They have to work. Right. Uh, (laughs) And they don't live in estates, they live in towns. Right. And I think that's kind of where the Meriton Ball fits is it's a place where the local gentry mingle at sort of the town hall with uh, sort of the middle class, like tradespeople and such. And this is a very humble country ball by the standards of. Uh, what the what the upper class is used to, but here comes Bingley, uh, new to the community, renting Netherfield Hall. It is not his ancestral home, uh, and I've always like there always feels like there's a subtext here that Bingley may not come from a long line of. He's either like he's either somewhat new to money, or he is new to being the head of his family and being mm, in charge yeah. of their fortune. Mm, yeah. But the degree to which he is introduced as kind of this young, amiable guy who's a little out of his depth mm-hmm. and is kind of being shepherded by the people around him mm-hmm. always seems to me like either he's being also a little bit introduced into filling his role in society uh, because it's new to him or he's just new to playing this particular part. Yeah, I would say maybe it's the latter, like it because his sisters have a very distinct understanding of of what the way of what the of how they're supposed to move through society, of how they're supposed to interact with other people. And he like has that too, but often kind of forgets it. Like he is like very is much less like easily offended that to you know like like social codes and things like that that um that you know he may may have had to do in his life but like thinks is like second sort of like second in his mind and you see that by like how you know engaged he is at at the ball itself he's like so down to like dance with like anyone and he's just like there to have a good time and to meet people and he's like happy to be introduced and and you know uh and there's all sorts of social social uh uh codes that go with that that he's like less 
he's like not really paying as much attention to or they're just kind of like secondary to him. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, let's just, you know, get to know each other. Like, let's talk. Let's have, you know, like a a little chit chat. And meanwhile, his sisters and Darcy are like, you do not talk to them unless you are introduced to them. And the same goes for him, but it seems like he's less conscious of it. Like it's less internalized. Um, and and so it does feel like sort of the latter of what you were saying, Rob, of, of like, it seems like he, like, I don't know, like his like birth order, like maybe he's like the younger son and those are his two older sisters. And that's why they have like a little bit more experience with this. And then because of some reason, he's like taken up the helm of, of the family or whatever. But it does very much seem like, you know, he's not as, he loves the country. He's not, he, he says that he's like, I'd love to spend more time here. Like, I don't really care about town. And his sisters are like, oh, well, we could never go without town. Like <laughs> town, you know, London is the, is the height of society and anything else is, you know, a diversion is not, is not something serious. Well, yeah. and their introduction oh. is, sorry, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say that he, I, I sort of read this as like, him being like, there's so many hot middle class girls. Why do why do I have to confine myself? There's all look at all these hot women that mm-hmm. I can dance with and talk to at this cool ball and just. But yeah. I also think he's just nicer than that though, like because he, he has this vibe because you see people commit faux pas in front of him, mm-hmm. and he always has that sort of pain feeling of like somebody who, whether or not he's the host of a party, he acts like the host mm-hmm. in yeah. some ways of trying to make sure everyone is having a nice time. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Bingley genuinely, I think is one of the nicest characters in this entire mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and it is in stark contrast to the way everyone else in his party is introduced. Mm-hmm. Bingley shows up and like, there's this weird energy in the room around him because mm-hmm. he is the new rich guy in the neighborhood. Yeah. And like a hush falls over the assembly hall when, yeah. when he walks in to sort of, uh, everyone sort of checks this guy out. But he's going out of his way to be friendly to everybody. And the degree to which his sisters and his friend Darcy uh, try to make clear immediately that, like, rank distinction is going to be preserved. Like, they are here, but almost under protest. We yeah. are <laughs> we are showing the flag, but we don't actually want to know any of you. Mm-hmm. Heavens no. Mm-hmm. It is just like it is it is a courtesy. It is like a, a social courtesy that because they are renting out, you know, Netherfield, that they should, you know, be like introduce themselves to this specific society. Um, but only that um, there is like no interest in in integrating and in getting to and, you know, forming connections with any of these people. And, and Bingley's the only one who's like, no, like we should get to get to know our new neighbors <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, one of the so his younger sister, uh, Miss Bingley, is played by Anna Chancellor, uh, who a great uh, British character actress uh, was actually we talked about um, Ordeal by Innocence not that long ago on Waypoints. Uh, she, you know, she played the female lead and also murder victim in that series. Uh, she's a badass reporter in the hour, but she plays sort of the insecure, haughty, uh, mm. aristocratic sister, like mm. 
to a T. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, she is so contemptuous toward everyone in the series, but there's always this little element of panic to the (laughs) entire thing. It's such an interesting portrayal. Yeah, completely. It's like, there's it's 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 such like an insecurity in like maybe it is a new money thing maybe it is like an insecurity in sort of like this like ju- like that the reason why she's holding on to these like class distinctions so tightly is because you know she does not want to be mistaken for anything less than what where she's at now um and you know i i'm i'd love to to know that sort of backstory but uh that yeah she's like she's super selective in who she's she chooses to spend her time with like she's she lets jane in ever so slightly but with all of these contingencies around it like with all of these sort of like well her family's not good you know um uh you know her her parents are a mess her sisters are silly but she she is like slightly you know she's she's nice to spend time with so i'll like allow it um but but it's always going to be wrapped up in like you know that the fact that she's making more of an effort to like see past the 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 uh negative qualities that that jane has there's a panic i think in being a woman in this an entire world, right? Even even coming from this much money and power and privilege, she has no real power. She has no real ability to make decisions. So all she can do is be haughty and be nasty and throw jabs and try to influence her brother who has the actual power here. So I, I'll always read that into a lot of these characters who are really insecure. And it's like, yeah, that's coming from a place of genuine insecurity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and... There's an element of she's also trying to do the same thing that the Bennets are doing, right? right? Uh, and we'll get to this. Competition. So <laughs> things begin going off the rails from the start, uh, from the way Mrs. Bennett introduces her daughters to Mr. Bingley. Well, Mr. Bingley uh, sees Jane basically from across the room and is like, oh, my goodness, who is this angel? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, again, in the world of Pride and Prejudice, like, Jane is, like, one of the most beautiful women in England. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, she she is radiant and charming in a way that everyone will be drawn to. Bingley is no exception. Uh, And from the first, Mrs. Bennet is all too eager to make clear that, like, the marriage market is open for business, right? (laughs) And she is aggressive about suggesting that like we are completely receptive to this. It is aggressive in a way that is off putting. And then she commits sort of her first, uh, you know, her, her first faux pas. She knows that Bingley has a far richer friend. He's traveling with Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bingley's wealth is nothing to Darcy's. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bingley is pretty rich. And, Darcy is sort of lurking in the background in the, in this first episode, Darcy is pretty much always lurking in the background, <laughs> looking yep. super silly. <laughs> um, but she kind of breaks the fourth wall that he's built around him and like sort of looks past Bingley and says, uh, you, sir, uh, you like to dance. I got other daughters <laughs> and it is immediately cringe, but also Darcy has this uh, look of immediately he's sizing up the situation and all his defenses, which were already pretty high, are on alert. And he does not like 
the Bennets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, colors a lot of the interactions that follow. Completely. He is not here for, like, he doesn't want the attention, I think, that Bingley's sisters do. Like, he is secure in his status, but does not want to, you know, have, like, the absence of interaction is, like, his security in that. Like, whereas I think with Bingley's sisters, like, establishing themselves in a very vocal way as like uh, as something else as something above you know the 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 people here that you know Mr. Darcy doesn't feel the need to do that he he like is is just he knows it and and doesn't want to really engage with it and his relationship like to Bingley is so fascinating because they are just such complete opposites. And I I always wonder like how like a relationship like this really works. But um, the fact that, you know, he, he's like, cont- I don't know. He's just like, I don't know what he gains by being an observer. Like, I don't know what Darcy gains by sulking in the back. Like, why come? You know what I mean? And that's like what what Elizabeth says. She, she was like, why come and like spoil the fucking mood of this ball and and just be like fucking sh- shitty in the corner and just like staring at people? Like, why come? And that's something that I never really understood is like, why, why does he place himself? Is it because he's like a part of, you know, uh, uh, Bingley's party and that's just like a thing like if you're a part of their party you go to the things that they're doing like uh what's her name Elizabeth when she's later you know at at Rose like staying at Rosings and stuff like do you just participate in what the party is doing because that's how it is or like why is he there he's a cop (laughs) he's got to keep watch he needs to make sure everything is under his control. I Not to completely dumb down the discourse, but I definitely did write it for this scene. Like, he has a permanent just smell to fart face. <laughs> this entire scene. It is real, real extreme. Yeah, that, that he's definitely, face. like, disgusted with yes. what he's saying, for sure. I think there's an element of... Darcy is also trapped by convention. He has to show up to shit like this. Yeah, like it, yeah. Like, to a degree, as a gentleman, he has to go. Especially, he's not just anybody. He's a major person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he is incredibly wealthy. He is a public personality, whether he wants to be or not. And so, to a degree, he has to keep showing up at these things, mm-hmm. but he would like to hide. Yeah. Uh, and a theme running throughout this is... There are people who like Darcy, and it's mystifying as to why. And there's apparently like a different Mr. Darcy mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, exists sort mm-hmm. of off stage for yeah. the first several chapters of the story. Yeah. Because um, you have to believe that Bingley is like the kind, genuine person that he is. Like that is that is the one constant here that he and it's like one of the first things you learn about him is that he is nice. He is amicable. He, he like values sort of kindness. Like the, like, of course, Jane is like the most beautiful person here, but I think he's also, you know, just like genuinely like likes her as a human being. Like, I think he likes her disposition. I think he likes sort of like, you know, her amicability and, uh, 
And so there has to be like that's that's that is the thing is like that is what Lizzie contends with the whole time is like why the fuck is Mr. Bingley friends with Mr. Darcy? Like there has to be a reason why if this like nice person this genuinely nice person who's like I can tell is loving and I can tell is an aff- aff- affectionate and I can tell you know sees past class distinction and 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 doesn't really pay much mind to that. Um, why does this person choose to associate themselves so closely? It is not just that Darcy is a peer; it is that Darcy is his best friend, and there has and she and she. Go, and she always has that in the back of his mind as she's, you know, dealing with like her conflicting sort of, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, understandings of who Darcy is, is that, well, Mr. Bingley likes him. So <laughs> there's got to be something there. I've always wondered, and again, not being as familiar with the text, if there are queer readings of this, if there is not that... It, not that it was necessarily intended at the time, but if there is a potential reading for queer subtext with Darcy and Bingley being such great friends and so protective of each other, at least Darcy being so protective of Bingley. But again, this I'm not that familiar with the mm-hmm. text. So this is something that I will always read into things, whether or not it's actually there. Yeah, I understand that. I think, um, you know, it's hard because... I'm I'm not familiar with any uh, queer uh, readings of this text, if if there are, but I think it like when I look at the relationship between Darcy and Bingley, Darcy's concern for Bingley is very much his status. Like his mm-hmm. concern with the with the matching of Jane is, and, and this is kind of jumping ahead, um, is with the status of her family, um, the propriety of her family, and also. Less so, but also becomes clear her affection towards him, um, which is so that is like maybe the place that I like would is is, yeah, yeah, is like is like maybe there's like room for like some sort of interpretation there. Mm. But um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I land on that. Um. Something that I think is really well handled in this version of the story, uh, there is a decision both in the in the adaptation and then the way L L Jennifer L portrays Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Jane is the gorgeous one, mm-hmm. and Lizzie's okay with that, but Lizzie's also insecure about her looks mm-hmm. and also, to a degree, wants on some level doesn't necessarily want to be seen as the pretty one, but would like to stop always being overlooked for her sister. Mm. And, Can you give like an example of that? Because I don't think I. Uh, well, it clearly gets under her skin immensely, either just before the it's either before the Netherfield ball or it's before the Meriton ball mm-hmm. where her mom just comes in and says, I thought you'll never be as pretty as Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it clearly gets under Lizzie's skin. Mm. Uh, but also, I think one of the reasons that they got, she gets off to such a disastrous start with Mr. Darcy is that he is an enormous asshole yeah. like from the start. But also, he makes a point of saying that he declined, he rejects Bingley's suggestion that he could also dance at this at this party mm-hmm. uh, because he says, "You like Bingley, you are dancing with the only." 
you know, handsome woman in the room. Mm-hmm. And Bingley says, well, what about her sister? She's cute. Yeah. And <laughs> Darcy says she's tolerable, I suppose, but not handsome enough to tempt me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's an, to a degree that the, the main the main problem here is that he's just being a colossal asshole. Yeah. But I think also just from a couple other like performance notes that Elle puts into this throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the mm-hmm. series. Also, to a degree, he has put his finger on a sore point. Yeah. And it's something it's she revisits that line and that like sort of dismissal of her yeah. a couple times. Uh, and I always sort of read it as uh, there being just a small element of Lizzie. One of a thing that Lizzie has to deal with yeah. is she is sister to the most gorgeous girl yeah. in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder it, it like it like blows my mind because Jennifer L. And suppose like maybe it's like the you know the Hollywood effect, but. She's beautiful, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. And so when everyone, like, what I think about is, like, everyone comparing Jane to, like, this angel or this, like, you know, like, ethereal being is, like, I think I have to, like, switch, like, the standards of beauty that I'm kind of considering. And it's, like, is it, like, Jane's golden, you know, like, blonde hair and, like, light eyes? Is it, know, like... Susanna Harker does look, like, though, like a Renaissance painting right? of an angel, right? right? Like, I mean, she has that sort of classical... And, and this is very much an era of neoclassical, like, the styles, the Roman right, hair. Right, the, Yeah. But look at, like, all the other sisters. They're all, like, have brown hair... Like, none of them are blonde. Like, a lot of the, like, general people, like, the only other other blonde girl that I can think of right now is Maria or Mariah, um, Mm. who's their cousin. Um, Oh, uh, Mariah Lucas? Oh, no, no, she's the sister to Charlotte. Right. Yeah. Um, so she's the only other one that has and she's like, I don't know, not really paid attention to, but uh, she's just kind of like tagging along most of the time. <laughs> um, but but so like that, that was one thing I was kind of thinking. I was like, what is like, what's the deal here? Like, why is this just like, you know, the text saying that Lizzie is, is, is like to some what what is the beauty standard that Lizzie is not like adhering to that is just you know, top of the line for all these people. Um, <laughs> but she is though. But she like, th- like when they say later, oh, well, what about the famous Miss Bennets? They are talking about Lizzie and Jane. Like they yeah. are both known to be like the yeah. most handsome women in the area. The yeah. issue is, yeah. yeah, the issue is Lizzie is not her sister, and I think part of it is her sister has that sort of classical beauty that mm-hmm. like would move a painter to like, I will style you as Venus that like, that is, that <laughs> She's is who amused. Jane is. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and this is the thing, like Jane's nice. She's smart, but she's like nice. Yeah. And she's not as abrasive as, as and we do not get like, we, we get, start to get into the degree to which Lizzie is also like scorched earth, go for the throat mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later in this, in yeah. this episode. Uh, but at this point, like her, the introduction between her and Darcy is just this complete debacle. Yeah. Uh, because he is a dismissive objectifying asshole. Who's in, like, also in front sort- of her, like yep. within yeah. earshot. She's like, mm-hmm. the, what's she's next so to him. excruciating yeah. is like all of this talking about each other 
happens right in front of each other it's like and you see uh, uh lizzie like looking over she's like that's why being being like oh look at lizzie looking over here she's pretty and and fucking darcy's looking at her straight and she's like looking down looking up looking down looking up and she's like ah eh, no i'm good actually and, and that's like that's one of the things that's like so wild to me is that everyone is just in like showing their whole fucking ass completely <laughs> like in front of each all other the time. all the time it's like where is the subtlety there is no subtlety here well and it's this this is the other thing is so they're in the society where you have to pretend like you don't talk to somebody unless you've been introduced right there's exactly. all these like invisible sound travels though that's the fucked up part <laughs> yep. it's like darcy thinks he can't be overheard because people can't talk to him right exactly now. like exactly. it is so wild that he's like look it's just us here in this crowd of people but like nobody can hear me because of class distinction <laughs> it's so fucked it's he has so to get fucked. smart like glass thing over him and his friend and it's just privilege. That's all it's made of is privilege. <laughs> yep. Like- 100%. 100%. <laughs> that is like so telling as to like the way that he regards himself and his relationship to everyone else. It's just like, I can say whatever the fuck I want to my friend because y'all haven't been introduced to me. And so you don't exist. You do yeah. not exist. And you whatever don't speak you this hear. Language. Yeah. Like whatever you hear, <laughs> I guess you just can't bring up. I don't know. Like you, like you're not going to talk. You're not going to talk shit to me about the shit that I already talked about you to my face. So it's privileged material. It's it's like it is just <laughs> oozing with with privilege. It's just it's so wild. Um, the other thing this this just fucks with my head enormously every time I think about it. Mm-hmm. The fact that all these scenes are staged. In dead silence, and the music that's in the scene is not being played on the set. The conversation chatter, all of that is added after the fact. Yeah. This is the part that, like, I like, this is the part where, man, acting's gotta be tough. Because I think for an extensive number of these shots, there is no music, there's no background chatter. There is just a room full of actors pantomiming and maybe murmuring. (laughs) Yeah. uh, As if they are talking. And dancing as if there is music. Yeah, just going like watermelon, but, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. I was taught. Yeah. <laughs> when you're an extra, you're just told to say watermelon, watermelon a million watermelon. times. <laughs> like, I always think about stuff like this. Yeah. Is the fact that, like, as these things are happening, they look and they sound great in the finished product. But there's this element of people having conversation mm-hmm. in these dead silent sets with mm-hmm. like, you know, people footfalls right and left. It's got to be already like it's kind of a weird scene, but the way these things must have been staged. And, but uh, that performed. awkwardness, I think that awkwardness like is it like plays a role here. Like, I think that that like that awkward tension of like knowing they're talking about you and like being able to clearly hear them. Like that's, that's in, that's in the final sort of final production too. Like that, that is like, it, it, it does so much. It works so well here to like feel that like, again, like excruciating awkward tension between like, like from this like obliviousness and and like arrogance to like this person who is you know Lizzie is sharp and and 
very, you know, uh, uh, confident in her understanding. That's like her thing is that she understands people the way like when she meets someone, she gets them figured the fuck out. And and that's like sort of her her role, I guess, in the family. Well, she and thinks she does. She <laughs> mm-hmm, she <laughs> thinks she does. And so does Darcy. Darcy also thinks he does. And hmm, what could that mean? <laughs> that they both think they understand people. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, in from the annals of I am an idiot. Uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I used to think. Well, which of them is pride and which of them is prejudice? I think it was only only in the last few years that I was like, oh, man, it's every fucking person in this fucking story, Uh, particularly them. They're both they're both so much. Um, It's almost like it's interesting that right from the moment the words escape him uh, and she sort of laughs and makes a point of walking right past them Mm -hmm. and then going over and like talking, I think, to Charlotte at that point. Uh, like, Darcy immediately knows, like, oh, I might have fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's his first awareness of her. Yeah. Um, and it's this really quick turnaround with no sooner has he been like, ah, yeah, no way. Yeah. To, oh, maybe. Shit. Yeah. Um, and this is going to, we, we kind of move straight from the Meriton Ball. We have a quick debrief at Longbourn about mm-hmm. how the evening went. Yeah. Things are clearly off to a great start with Jane and Bingley. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Darcy yeah. is an asshole and mm-hmm. everyone hates him. Yep. <laughs> and then they're going to go have a ball at Lucas Lodge. And this is another one of those interesting, okay, now here's a new nuance of class. Yeah. Which is that Sir William Lucas is knighted. But is not really one of them. No, he is not. He was like a shopkeeper and then somehow achieved the status of being knighted. And that's like explicitly said by uh, uh, one of the Bingley sisters, um, the one that we talked about before. Um, and that, the chancellor. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that she's like. Oh, but what is what is a knight that was that owns a shop or something like that? And and so it's immediately clear that they're not going to recognize these people either. Was this one supposed to be again? I'm going to ask a lot of questions as yeah. as the person who doesn't know the text as well. Mm-hmm. Was, was this supposed to be like a step above the the you know the first interesting ball? question? Or is this because supposed this is to not be, a public ball, right? Because this was like a private event. You had to be invited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, I don't know all the distinctions, but is this supposed to be like a little a step above, a cut above? I sort of read it that way, but I don't actually know if that was correct. It's like a It's a house party, right? It's it is a house party. It's a slight cut above because of okay. like the status of the people that are hosting it, like without the context of who they actually are. Um, but if but the fact that it is a private ball is significant rather than a public ball. Um, okay. the, the one at Maryton is a public ball. Anyone can go. And the fact that this is like an invited event, like these people are being specifically chosen, like this crowd is being chosen and curated and like placed here, um, I think is like significant. Gotcha. Um, so I, I would say it's like a half, like <laughs> a baby it, step <laughs> from, from like the Darcy's, uh, the Darcy's and the Bingley's of the world. It, it's like a half step, maybe. Um, <laughs> luckily now they don't have to like mingle with, I don't know. They're less inclined. I don't know. It's like just a tiny bit, not as bad. Okay. I think. 
I think it comes off as a little shabbier, though, because it is also led by the ultimate tryhard, Sir William Lucas. Right. Capital, uh, capital. Uh, oh, God, it's such a good... He is so <laughs> excruciating he to is. the degree, like... He so badly wants to impress people with mm-hmm. his home and his mm-hmm. manners mm-hmm. and play like the the the, the grande of yeah. of this scene, but he's just not. He's small town gentry, and to a degree, there's also an implication that like he's a newer man than oh, like yeah. even the Bennets, yeah. right? Like again, he's very proud of being Sir William, but like he's kind of a nobody. Yeah. Um. But he's got this knighthood. And so there's there's him trying to impress the Bingleys with his knighthood. Yeah. They aren't they do not have a knighthood. Yeah. They, they have other things. Yeah, they have <laughs> other things like established wealth. Um yeah. but yeah, it's it's funny to watch him sort of interacting with them as peers. Like his he's like, Oh, you gotta, you know, check out this. You gotta meet these people. You two should dance together. Like like Sir William Lucas is like kind of playing matchmaker, but in a way that's like 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 casual and like and friendly as if they were like peers. And it is just not reciprocated at all. It is like it is uncomfortable. It's like, ugh, I like how, why are you acting like we're, we're friends? Like, why are you acting like we're already on the same level when you are clearly not? Um, yeah. Well, and I think something else here is it's at this and certainly in the debrief period between the two balls that we start to realize like Bingley is also surrounded by people who are embarrassments. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. His sister's are not subtle in the the degree to which they are assholes mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. But also his older sister, Mrs. Hurst, is married to a guy who's bored him with all of this. Yes. <laughs> this, this actually, this I wrote this guy. down. It's like, you can see, like, it's, it's, uh, where did, where did, oh yeah, they're so concerned with like the impropriety of the Bennets and like everyone else around them, but their fucking homie is like falling asleep at the first party, yep. and then he's like asleep at the like drinking <laughs> at the table, and it's just all over the place, absolutely a mess. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's a rich man, or I don't know, like yeah. he's with us, so who cares? And it's not clear, like. And the way it's played, it's not clear that, like, he has a drinking problem. He just likes to get shit-faced at every single occasion. Yep. Like, maybe he has a drinking problem. He might also just be like, fuck it. I can do what I want, and I don't like parties. Yep. So time for me to be loudly and publicly drunk. <laughs> and uh, then go to at, sleep. At, and then yeah, fall like, asleep right here. <laughs> um, and I think in that, in that debrief period, you also got a little bit of what – I think Darcy thinks he's like watching Bingley's back, but I also think Bingley views like Bingley wants Darcy to loosen the fuck up. And so I think both these guys think they're doing each other a favor. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so the Lucas Lodge ball uh, is tiny. It is cramped Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of reaches its excruciating nadir uh, when first, Sir William makes the comment that dancing is the mark of every refined society to Mr. Darcy. Oh, um, yeah. This fucking sucks. The racism oh my comes God. out. Here it is. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Darcy makes the observation that it's also the mark of every unrefined society. Uh, 
and Sir, Sir William, the fucking fool, is like, whatever do you mean? <laughs> oh. And Darcy's like, well, every savage can dance. Oh. It's fucking whack. It's Ooh. so whack. It, it is. Um, at the same time, it's also ridiculous that Sir William's like, man, like, Dancing is what proves like a culture has reached ele- elevation and refinement. Yeah. And there's like everybody dances, man. Yeah. Like there's there's also not like it is too oblivious. It's very two forms of oblivious upper upper yes. class yes. British aristocracy. Yeah. Trying to think about what makes us special in the world. Yeah. And the answer like, is we invented nothing. dancing. And it's like, no, you fucking didn't. It's been around. Yeah. And you probably stole it in the first place. And then it's like the other guy being like, yeah, it's not because anyone can do it. And that's like what and then be racist about it. And like, that's what sucks yeah. about dancing is like anyone can do it. And so, yeah, it, the, the two obliviousnesses there are like, whew. yeah. Uh, and then Sir William tries to escape the moment. By latching on to Lizzie as she walks past because she is in the process of watching her sisters make asses of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is point the militia has shown up. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she like goes to try and stop fucking uh, one of her sisters from just absolutely ruining their family's lives. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so a militia regiment has recently come to town. The younger Bennett sisters badly want to make out with a soldier at the very least. Yeah. That like a is, man in uniform. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. That's what they it is. sure do. <laughs> um, and Lizzie's like, I got to get ahead of the situation. It's going bad. Sir William is like, wait, I have found, I've come to an awkward uh, conversational cul-de-sac. And then he tries to play the matchmaker uh, between... Lizzie and Darcy. At this point, Darcy is willing to let that happen. Mm. Uh, he is happy to, I think, have that match made without him having to come down uh-huh. and ask her formally to dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's open to it. And Liz, like Lizzie, uh, with that sort of masked rage that Elle uh, projects toward Darcy in a lot of their scenes together, uh, is very clear, like, no, I'm not playing this. Like, This is the other thing. She calls attention to social conventions Mm -hmm. that she's expected to follow, but also makes clear she is actually being sincere Mm -hmm. in the way she is behaving. She says, I didn't come here so you would notice I don't have a partner. Mm -hmm. I don't want to dance. Yeah. And that is unusual. But it is like it is trademark Lizzie. Yeah, totally. It's so uh, uh, what's what's the subtlety in which like Darcy opens up is like so it's like almost impossible to read because there's nothing given in like his face and like what he like his expressions and things like that he always has the like one of the things I like noted is like he does not smile he's like when he looks at her and studies her he is not like you don't see like oh maybe he has a sweet spot for her (laughs) it is like intense and stern and like just like just like stone cold, like no. He's kind of scary. He is scary. He is. He's like a fucking lurker. He's just like walking around with like this like serious ass look on his face, staring at her, and 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 the fact that like 
him like the only inclination that you get that like he he like something something's happening in his head like some gears are turning is in terms of his relationship to Lizzie is that he's letting this conversation go on a little bit longer than he would mm-hmm. have like at the last ball and like in the last ball he would have been like I do not dance bye and then like <laughs> not even said bye and just walked away but in this one he's like just letting it play out slightly longer than than he yeah. would have. And, like, it is such a subtlety. And it, like, I think speaks so much as to, like, he does not want to participate. He is not, like, he does not want to be an agent here. Like you were saying earlier, Rob, of, like, he's not going to come initiate and, like, come up to Lizzie and be like, let's go for a dance at this point. Like, at this point, he is just like letting things play out in front of him and he is still the observer. He is still just watching and seeing what happens. And as soon as he doesn't fuck with it anymore, he'll walk away. Yeah. I think it's an interesting, he comes across as, uh, well, this is sort of the moment that he really, that she really catches his interest because she basically says, fuck off. Yeah. And this is the other part of this is, Darcy never hears that Darcy like Darcy's always the most important man in the whatever room he is in, <laughs> which I think is one reason why he tends to lurk a lot because we get into this a little bit more. I think Darcy has this view that everyone is going to want something from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is his fundamental like wariness. And at the same time, it also means that he never really has to do anything. Like things are brought to him um, and he just does not encounter people ever making him feel like he doesn't matter. And he kind of likes it. And the juxtaposition is right there where Lizzie brushes him off and then uh, Caroline Bingley shows up and continues to do that thing she's doing pretty much in all their scenes together where she's basically trying to be like, man, Aren't all these people the worst, Darcy? Mm -hmm. Aren't I great? Aren't like, aren't I more interesting than, than all these people? And Darcy, oblivious to that, uh, just makes the remark that, uh, what is it? I'm reflecting on like the fine eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The effect Mm -hmm. a pair of fine eyes can have on someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she's like, Oh, who do you mean? And he's like, Elizabeth Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> Not you. Uh, that, that girl. Um, and that is sort of the first declaration we have that from him that now he is, you know, he is intensely interested. She is worthy of study. Yes. Yeah. Like she is not yeah. just, you know, one of the crowd. Like now there is like a reason to pay attention to her. Yeah. But she genuinely hates him and he does not know that. No. <laughs> or he just doesn't give he doesn't care. I think he doesn't know. I think he likes it. Mm. That like she's the only person not afraid to offend him. Yeah. You think he likes you think he likes being hated? I think he's a secret bottom. Like Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Go for it. I do. I think he 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 walks around the world like he owns it. But what he really wants 
is somebody who will who will not take his guff and who will give it back and who will kind of surprise him with it and shock him with it and smack him around a little bit. I don't know that I would have put it that way, but I think that's actually a good reading of the character, right? Like, like if for, if for Darcy, it's this. No one is meeting him where he's at. Yeah. No. And Elizabeth is the only person that, like, in his eyes, has, like, the wit and intelligence to, like, clap back at him whenever he, yeah. like, says something. Like, their intellect is, like, he's finally sort of, like, identifying an equal there. So I think it's just, like, they're, he's identifying someone that can, like, actually play ball with him yes. and, like, and, like, play that game. But it's the, also this element of, I think both of these characters do believe they're special. And they actually declare that basically, uh, yes. you know, later on in this yes. episode. But both these characters are convinced they are special. And like extraordinary people in their society. That they have a heightened ability to understand people unlike anyone else. Yes. And they are clever. But I think predominantly like it's not that Lizzie's just the smartest, you know, you know, the equal to Mr. Darcy. It's Mm -hmm. that she is the only person oblivious enough and irresponsible enough with social hierarchy. To not give a shit about giving offense. Yeah. And I think this is where, like, he badly, like, wants someone to push back. Yeah. Like, people won't be smart and contradict him. Mm-hmm. That is not something he encounters. Yeah. And so the first time somebody is basically like, eh, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, immediately he's like, oh, thank God, somebody said it. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Like, I'm here. Like, yeah. I, like it's, it's this weird actualizing thing, right? Where, like, um, he's surrounded by, like, vague approval and, like, yeah. Yes men and yes women. Yeah. And to a degree that also makes you feel invisible. Like does anything I do matter? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I don't feel really that bad for him, but um yeah. in you know, the greater scheme of things. But Oh yeah. You're rich. <laughs> yeah, you're rich. Okay, fuck off. Um but yeah, I think there is, you know, there is a sort of invisibility and you can see that in the way that he like sulks and like just moves about, you know, society without really engaging. And it's like, if I talk to people, they're just going to like, I don't know, like, like suck up to me and, and, you know, try and, and, and garner my approval. And like, what is the value in that? Like maybe I don't find value in that. I don't want to give that. And like, yeah, you're a shithead for not wanting to interact with people below your fucking status. Fuck off. Um, but the fact that, you know, Lizzie is, is, doesn't mind breaking that sort of social barrier. Like she just, I, I don't think she like, I wonder what the context is of like her engagement with this class in the first place. Like, I wonder what, like, have there been other rich families that have been, that have passed through here before? I'm sure it's like a thing, like, I don't know. Is this like a town that doesn't see much action? You know, the fact, so like the famous, like Netherfield is let it last line. Like Netherfield mm. is the estate yeah. in their area. Yeah. And nobody's been there for a long time. Yeah. Like, I think it's, this is an area of like decaying gentry. Yeah. And this is the first like real money they've seen in a long time. Yeah. So I get like, I don't get the sense that there have been a lot of other Bennett's, mm-hmm. uh, other Bingley's, mm-hmm. uh, coming through. Yeah. Um, which is why her mom has to make the most of this opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and in one of what is perhaps the best social gambit in this series, albeit Absolutely one that nearly gets ridiculous. someone killed. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I want to take us through the logic here of this of this next move. Oh, Natalie. I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> um, so Jane gets invited to come to uh fuck, what's it called? Netherfield. 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 She gets invited by the Bingleys to come to Netherfield and to have dinner, to dine with them. And she is like, Well, obviously I should go in a carriage because it's number one, it's gonna rain. Number two, God. it will look better to go on a carriage. And uh, Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, hell no. You're going on fucking horseback. And you're and this is like a distance. Okay. Like, I think it's kind of, it's it's not as obvious, like, what the distances are between each of these, like, like uh, uh, central places to the story. But there is vast distance between them. And she's like, you're going on horseback because when it rains, you're going to get sick and then you're going to have to spend the night and then and then he'll fall in love with you. God. And she gets there and she is like, she's like at the dinner table. She's like riding in the rain, like on this like fucking horse who looks like <laughs> it's going to just knock out at any fucking moment. And it's like a workhorse. It's not like some stallion. Yes. It is like absolutely like the fucking family, like farm horse or whatever. And, and she gets there and she's like sitting at dinner with them and they're asking her all these questions. And it's like intense. Like they're like, so there's this nightmarish lobby. In the center of the table, oh too. It's just this like massive, it's madness, fucking prehistoric nightmare lobster <laughs> in the middle of the frame. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And 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 you know, uh, uh, Caroline and her sister are like questioning uh, Jane, and they're like, "So, where does your like, what does your aunt and uncle do? Like, where do they live? And and you have family in London. Where is Green Garden or whatever the fuck it's called? Like, where's that? And she's like." I don't fucking know. I've never been to London. And she's like, you feel her like getting overwhelmed by sort of the pressure of the situation, which coincides with her like falling ill fever. Yeah. Yeah. She like gets a fever and then she's just stuck at, at, at fucking at Netherfield for like, three days or something like sick with like a bad she looks bad like she looks really sick and her mom is like yes I did it my my mind who could whom else could 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 contrive such a brilliant plan but me and 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 Elizabeth is like you're fucking wild for this. Like you are, are truly on some other shit. And it's like, I got to go over there and check to make sure my sister's not about to fucking kick the can because you wanted her to sl- have a sleepover at Netherfield. And so Jane or, or Elizabeth decides to like walk to, 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 uh, Netherfield. This is I I love this power move. It's oh, such yeah. a power um, move. Like first, her mom her, her mom's move is, is a move. It's it works out really it's brilliant, well. Brilliant, it, it but is also a, terrible. Her daughter nearly dies. Yeah, yes. like she nearly like this is an AIDS. Like there's no medicine they can give her. Yeah, they're like, just like oh we'll her stick her in a bed for a couple days. Hope she gets <laughs> yeah. better. Who could See say if that works? Yeah, stick her but in a bed. <laughs> Elizabeth's decision to no no, I'm gonna walk. Mm-hmm is one of the most aggressive, like, it is a tactical nuke fired at Netherfield, basically. Like, she, like, it just rained. We get this long shot. This is is a, 
series where you get lots of wonderful shots of people wandering through idyllic English mm-hmm. countryside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone looks great yep. in the land. Like you want to go walking with these people. Oh, you yeah. also immediately like, damn, I would just like hike these hills and fields yeah. forever. It'd be great. So we get a long sequence of her walking that considerable distance, cutting out the roads, just going through like farm fields and yep. shit, tromping around in like mud and like what looks like cow pies. Yep. Uh, just tromping she give through. A fuck. No, and she's remember, like a tank in this sequence, like fully, like her yeah. posture, like everything about her is just I'm doing this shit. Yeah, yeah. And then she shows up to fucking Netherfield, and she's like, "What's up, bitches? I hope you don't mind if I fucking tromp through here with my muddy ass shoes and my muddy ass dress. Yes. Hope you don't mind. There's no steam cleaners. There's no like it's it's the most aggressive. Like they can't just like resolve this. Like no. they can't like spray some resolve on this and like no. get the like d- dirt devil. There's no to, like, time to go. Dress. Towel down as she walks in. Yeah. Nope. No, she is like here to fuck up their home. Yeah. And <laughs> also, so she she just cuts straight through. She basically bursts out of a hedge. Yeah. And Darcy is there and is like, bah. And she does this great, like, uh, he tries to sort of make conversation about like, hey, you just walked, you just walked here, you just showed up. And she's like, yeah, as you see me, fuck off. Can you take me to my sister? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then she just brushes past him and like leaves him in the dust and just like covered in muck and grime, just walks straight into the house to go see the sister. It's incredible. Uh, it is unbelievable the degree to which uh, like Lizzie sort of throws down the gauntlet of I hate you people. Yeah. But it's also like. They're renting this place. Like, it's also like she, there's maybe some sort of security in the fact that she knows that, like, Bingley's not going to care. Like, Mr. Bingley's not going to care. And, and like, her coming in is, like, only going to piss off the people that she wants to piss off. Like, it's only going to piss off Caroline and the other sister and Darcy. Mm. And that is the deliciousness here. Is like, I know exactly who I'm going to fuck with, with this move. And... Will this damage the relationship between Bingley and Jane? No, because Bingley doesn't really care about this sort of thing. It's not even his house. He's just here for like yeah. the, the season. He doesn't give a shit about the deposit. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I guess we should say it also probably pissed off the poor servants who had to actually clean up the mud. Yeah, and of course. Although I guess this entire series is unconcerned with. That portion of class. This is only this. one servant gets a name. Yeah, right. only one gets a name and is like visible, really. Yeah. In wait, no, two. Wait, who? There's a thinking, line later. I was on, thinking I think. of There's, yeah. Uh, Hill. Wait, right, Hill. Who's That's Hill? Right. Uh, she's the Bennetts. Um, like yeah. head uh, steward or oh maid. wait, I thought Mary Hill. Wait, not some. That's someone That's, else. But like, you'll hear Mrs. Bennett being like gotcha, calling gotcha. for Hill, oh, Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, she's like the one that helps him get dressed and stuff. Yeah. And then there's like Mrs. Jenkins at Rosings. Yes. Uh, like mm. governess. So like yes. not really. Yeah, this this is not a, yes, Lizzie is basically being like, I am going to make life hell for some footmen and, <laughs> uh, you know, cleaning stuff. Don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, The degree, like, <clears throat> so... Now Lizzie's just there, just living in their house, taking care of her sister. 
um, who is just completely laid out and trying not to pass away from fever. <laughs> but here's the thing is Darcy, the effect that she intends to have on Darcy is not the effect that she has that ends no. up happening. And you see this in a conversation between Caroline and Darcy in which Caroline is like, so I guess this, this, her muddy entrance must have impacted your admission for her fine eyes. Am I right? And, and Darcy's like, actually they were brightened by the exercise or whatever. And it's like, Hmm. So like, Mm -hmm. what's it going to like, are you just giving her a pass now? And you're like, all right, this is who she is. And I just want to see how this plays out. And like, you're just going to let all the kind of inconsistencies and, 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 you know, uh, impolite, what's the word for this? Improprieties. Improprieties. Yeah. Are you just going to let that shit go and like, see, like, just ride this one out and like, see what happens? (laughs) I think a clue to this comes from before we get to one of the drawing room showdowns of this visit. um, There is a point where he's taking a bath. He looks out the window and she's encountered a big old dog. Yeah, the bath Uh, scene. (laughs) Yes. Killed me. I was like, (laughs) oh, shit. There's a bath scene. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Colin Firth is really hot. Oh, no, I wasn't even, I was just like, it's just funny. Like, baths are just funny to me. It's just like, when I think of baths, I'm just laughing for, I don't know, maybe I'm a child. Well, it's a, it's a, he's in a big old copper can. He's like in a basically. big old copper can, and like his his <clears throat> butler or whatever is just pouring water on his head, and he's just a, this big ass baby, like just sitting there, like, mm, and just like getting bathed. It does look like a good bath, though. It's true that he is more objectified, though, in terms of camera work than any woman. I think in this entire yeah. series, we see him not to get too far ahead, but we see him in more hot and sweaty situations slash wet situations than any woman in the series. But this series is also co-starring plunging necklines, particularly yes, like true. that is the other part of this is yes. Like there are some clear beefcake shots of Darcy, <laughs> but like to a degree, like also it's the fashion of the time. This is yeah. it's proper fashion at that point is also like, Everyone's wearing comfy pajamas with a scoop neck. Yeah, That's kind of it's like what's A-lines true. with with like deep rectangular Plunge. plunges. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Um, but he sees her out the window. She's found a big old dog, <laughs> and she's just like, "I'm play with this dog." Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. There's this like look of like. Yes, he's attracted to her. He's sort of like looking at her out the window. I think there's also kind of this sadness to that scene where like mm. she's uninhibited. She has so many things that he's not. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, holy shit, there's a big dog. I'm going to play <laughs> fetch with it and like roughhouse with it in the yard. <laughs> and you get the sense that Darcy doesn't let himself do that, but would yeah. like to. Yeah, totally. It's it's strange to me because in this scene, I was like waiting for the smile that like we had gone so long without, like I was waiting for him to look at her and just some sort of like positive expression <laughs> reach his face. And no, it's like, it's it's just, it's like he's so unwilling. He is just like all the way dialed in to this like- Clenched. Yeah, just like totally clenched, all the way dialed into this like expectation of who he's supposed to be that he yeah. is just completely unwilling to let even the tiniest like 
show of affection or admiration like appear like it is all in his words it is all in like the 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 moments that he does engage with her it is like not in any sort of like physicality which is just such a a an interesting way to look about it and i didn't even think of that sadness when i when i saw that scene i thought of like oh here he goes fucking staring at her again but it is true it's like it, there is like it, there's such a, like uh, a difference between Lizzie's inhibition and and Darcy's sort of restraint. It, does this mean Lizzie is the original manic pixie dream girl? Hmm. Is that what this means? Is that what could, this could mean? Perhaps. I mean, not no. <laughs> no. Not no. <laughs> not no. <laughs> IMO. Yeah, I think the most you could say is like it doesn't fully map because of the era, but I sure. think by the st- yeah, I think to a degree what she is doing is she's the uninhibited uninhibited chaos. Yeah. yeah, she's not as yeah. manic, and she doesn't have a pixie cut. No, and that, uh, here's True. here's the other thing I will True. say: the manic pixie dream girl doesn't do what Lizzie does in the next scenes in the drawing room. True. Yeah, the like, manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, I'm thinking of Zoe Deschanel. Of course. And yeah, fair. Of course. <laughs> the, the, you know, everyone. <laughs> Proto-Manic Pixie Dream. Yes, yes, you know. completely. Um, she would not have played ball. Like, she would have, I don't know. She would have instead played ball with the dog. Yeah, she would have just, left. like, stayed out. I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what is, like, customary. of the, Like, is it custom? Like, was Jane staying? Jane was just like seeing out the 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 you know health of her sister, right? Like that's yeah. why, or sorry, Elizabeth <clears throat> was just was yeah. was you know staying there as long as it took to take her sister home. So if it were if it were the manic pixie dream girl, <laughs> I guess maybe she just would have stayed in the room. Would have been like, I really should be with my sister. I you know sure. I really can't come down. For cards or whatever. Oh my god! The it's cards. But I do think every, I do think there's something there about like this, like the unattainable, or like kinda. this, like this, this other type of person that is like so opposite your conventions and so opposite what you've allowed yourself to be. That like in that person, you allow yourself to exercise those things, to exercise those fantasies. I think that's extremely here. So I, I don't know. So Garden State is just Jersey Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So also social custom is she's not allowed to hide. Uh, She's got to go be a guest. She's got to go not just hang with her sister, but she has to go hang with this household of people that she doesn't like very much and she knows don't like her Mm -hmm. uh, very much. Except for Bingley, who's awesome and is like, (laughs) man, it's great that everyone's just here hanging out. Uh, That's that's very much his energy in all this. But they keep having to spend these evenings together in the drawing room. And uh, the first night, there's a card game and Lizzie refuses to play and has sort of this famous exchange with Caroline where uh, Lizzie's reading. She declines the invitation to take part in a card game where Mr. Hurst sober uh, in, a, in a rare moment is also showing that he's way too much at cards. Um, oh, mm-hmm. He's in the middle of a casual card game and he's like, 
he's like the dude who shows up to like with his own controller for like an evening of fighting games, right? Like that's, <laughs> yep. that's the, that's the vibe he's bringing across here. It's like, I fucking love whist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but Lizzie's invited to participate. She declines and she has this famous sort of exchange with Caroline. Caroline sort of parrot, like, you know, gently mocks her and says, well, Miss Elizabeth Bennett is a great reader and takes pleasure in nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rather than playing it off, Lizzie is immediately like, oh, no, fuck that. Like Time to engage. Yeah. <laughs> and starts getting into it with Caroline about what makes an accomplished woman mm-hmm. in the society. In front of Darcy. That's the other part of this. Darcy's lurking in the corner because that's what he does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Caroline is playing to Darcy. And trying to, I think, to a degree, like, get his attention. His attention is on Elizabeth. So Caroline engages with Elizabeth to try to get some of that attention. Yeah. But Car- also to show her up. Yes. Caroline is saying all this shit because Caroline has those qualities and wants to be like, right, Darcy? Aren't I the ideal model of an accomplished woman? Like, she's waiting for that approval. She's, like, just yearning for it. And and Darcy's like actually I feel kind of bad for Caroline. I do, I do, I do feel bad for her because she is in a similar, like larger position to the Bennett girls. Mm-hmm. Like she isn't married. There's no sort of hint at you know who who you know Darcy will end up with. They don't really talk about it. Um, or there's no, sorry, there's no hint to who Caroline will end up with. They don't, they don't talk about, you know, Darcy and Caroline getting together. They don't talk about any sort of prospects for her. And so she's kind of also in this like ambiguous, like she looks older, like she, you know, she, why isn't she married? She might be 25. She might. Yeah. I think she's probably around Lizzie's age. Okay. I think she's probably maybe a, a little older, maybe not. Um, uh, uh. So it's it's yeah she's also in this precarity, um, but she has no. the, I guess, you know because she has a male sibling she has that to sort of as like security, and I don't know what the like societal rules are about you know siblings mooching off female siblings mooching off their male <laughs> their male brothers, <laughs> but I'm guessing like the fact that she's you know traveling with him to Netherfield and stuff like that. I'm guessing she'll stick around. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's like outlining her herself as this sort of accomplished woman and her peers and like and, and you know, the ladies that she, you know, you know, are in her her sort of class or whatever. And Darcy's like, no, 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 no. You got to add a couple more qualifications to that. And and then brings up specifically extensive reading. As one of those accomplishments, which I think is a nod. Oh my God. Is that a nod to her? Is to Lizzie? Is that like, oh, yeah. you've got one. And. Oh, no. No. Like, Darcy is trying. Like, this is Darcy really trying hard to walk back everything he's done to this point. Like, this is him trying to be like, I see you. Like, yeah. I respect you. And I value the things you value. Rather than read it that way, because Lizzie, Lizzie's obliviousness with regard to Darcy is pretty, like, becomes heroic, I think, yeah. by the third episode. <laughs> yeah, but certainly. even by this point, she hears this 
And rather than take that with any degree of like, like oh, is he she's incredibly graceless yeah. <laughs> the entire thing. She's <laughs> like, she's like, oh, uh, like Darcy says uh, to all these other, uh, you know, traits, a woman must add something else yet more important. The constant improvement of her mind by by reading. Yeah. And some and other Lizzie things that responds, I don't Yeah. And Lizzie responds, well, in that case, Darcy, I'm not surprised that you are only knowing uh, a half a dozen accomplished women. I'm rather surprised that you knowing any. <laughs> and it is like the degree to which like that even like watching this, it's like. Lizzie's just in there flipping tables. Oh yeah, hundred like, percent. Like Lizzie is not. Lizzie here to is make like edge lording out here, just like yeah. you know. I don't fucking know anyone like that. I don't. You know, she's just like she's not like in this fucking room. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck. She's like totally just like ready to go to bat. Like she's just and and like to her credit, I think because nobody's out here challenging these people. Nobody's out here like the fact that she's. That she's, you know, willing to to sort of be critical of of like women in general, not like, you know, Caroline's astonishment or I think it's Caroline or maybe it's Darcy, their astonishment at her severity on her own sex. And she's like, yeah, because this is an unrealistic standard that you're holding like the idea of woman to like the fact that like woman is supposed like a woman is supposed to be all these things is just absolutely ridiculous and like completely unattainable for any like like anyone other than a person with like six governesses and like five tutors and yeah. whatever you know what I mean um it's such a great moment for, for Lizzie and it it, it is like kind of graceless it, it feels like imp, like impulsive like like a just like an immediate sort of like but she's like confident in it she's like she's like sure she she doesn't like feel regretful at her at her no. kind of like clapback she's like yeah you guys are on some other shit <laughs> yeah yeah, the uh, degree to which she is just taking shots uh, yeah. is uh, is unreal. Uh, and then the next night we have this the other uh, encounter oh, where at this yeah. point it's a quieter night, and Darcy is writing a letter, and again, uh, poor Caroline is just trying to get him to engage at all, and he is super not. Uh, she like practically crawls into his lap to look at what he's writing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he like pretends not to see her. <laughs> um, and so Caroline, in like a fit of desperation, God, what a weird fucking society! This what was. a weird fucking yes. society! She's yes. like, she's like, hey, Lizzie, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you take after me and take a turn about the room? It's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. This unventilated <laughs> drawing room. And also, it's funny that this is like a night. Like, you can't see the light outside. And in the film, in the Keira Knightley version, it's like daylight. The room is well lit. Like, it actually does look kind of like, oh, yeah, like, nice. let's just take, a, take a, a turn about the room. But in here, it's like a stuffy ass <laughs> drawing, like, just like upholstered to the max drawing room that's just probably... Netherfield 
has been let at last. It's been a minute since people have been sitting in this room. Like, it's probably dusty as shit. Like, it probably fucking just is just just gross 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 ass room and there's like smoke sweat. there's smoking in there yeah. nobody has deodorant at this time it probably smells it's like summer. shit it's oh, summer it's summer it just looks like it just it's the least refreshing thing you can do in this room <laughs> is just take a turn about it but she has a, she has an intention behind it which is as Darcy so aptly notes that that uh, uh, she gets up and she's like, I forget what the maybe, you know, the like the starting off bit for for why she's like, would you like to join us, Mr. Darcy? Oh, right, or something right, like that. right. And he's and he flashing what passes for gallantry and charm for him. Like it's him attempting but- to like. Flirt. But also, it's him, like, showing that he understands, like, the female mind. He's like, I know what you guys are doing. I know what's going on here. I'm not a fool to the, to the, 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 you know, the, the, the. Feminine wild. The, yeah, yeah. She, he's like, I, I know what you're trying to get at here. And. Just. Yeah, so it would defeat the purpose if he joined them, uh, which is, of course, their figures appear to their best advantage as they walk around the room and he sits and watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Caroline is so like, like, oh, so wicked. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> You're so naughty, Mr. Darcy. Yeah. God. And, but then once again, and this is, this is the thing, Darcy and Elizabeth have a weird chemistry and energy mm-hmm. between them in all of these scenes. Yeah. Like they're just like immediately this conversation goes from like Caroline is like, Oh no, what, what, whatever does he mean? What, what, what is he getting at? Um, she says, how should we punish him? Yeah. How should, how should we punish Mr. Darcy for uh, you know being so flirtatious? Yeah. yeah. And Lizzie says, Oh, we should, you know, we should laugh at him mm-hmm. because that would that would that would hit him where he lives. <laughs> and Caroline says, "Laugh at Mister Darcy." No, he's a, he's a man without fault. And at this point, again, rather than just like okay, let the bullshitting go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Lizzie's like, "Oh, man without fault." Really? <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> and so she and Darcy immediately begin this like forensic examination of each other's characters that is like so intense. It's so intense. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like I watch it and like there is a romantic chemistry and energy in that scene. It's also uncomfortable because I can now watch it from the standpoint of like imagine two people mm-hmm. in your <laughs> in your living room <laughs> just doing this. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so bizarre. Like the romantic chemistry is so much harder for me to observe here. I think in comparison to like the, the film in, in, in like in, in the film, it's like just overt, like sexual tension the whole damn time between Kira and the guy who plays Mr. Darcy, who I always forget his name, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but here, I think because Darcy is is so masked, like his his like feelings are just absolutely like under a hundred layers, and 
And for me, Elizabeth, like Lizzie is just, is just like, like down to fuck, to fuck with him. Like, it's just down to kind of like play the mind game and like, and, and, and sort of like go to bat and, and, and just, you know, just feist it up. I don't know, but it doesn't feel as sexual to me. And maybe it's because I have this comparison in my head, which is why I bring that up. Mm -hmm. But, and, and if I didn't have that, maybe I would feel it more here. But to me, it's like, she's just like, she has a target. Like she's put a target on his back Mm -hmm. and it's just like, you are someone that will counter me in a way that I find satisfying, at least intellectually. Um, So, so that's like kind of where I fall in, in this scene, at least of like where, because the whole time I was like, when is it going to like, when am I going to feel it? Like, I know, I know what's going to happen. But to me, it's like Darcy is still sort of in this like super pulled back state where he's like, but 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 he's not, I guess, because he's like, well, he's trying to explain what's wrong with him. He's starting. He starts to crack that open. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Where he makes the case that pride where there's a real superiority of mind. Oh, yes. Pride isn't good regulation. So, A, I do think I'm better than people. But I am better than people, well, he, so it's all good. Yeah, he he specifically is like kind of setting himself aside from his peers here because uh, 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 Liz, uh, Lizzie asks him like, "What is a worse weakness, uh, uh, vanity or pride?" And he's like, "Oh well, vanity is a weakness for sure." And like you, it like cuts to Caroline, and Caroline's like, "Huh." Like <laughs> who me? She's called out. Yeah, she's called out. And and then he says, "But pride, where there is a real superiority of mine, pride will always be under regulation. I have faults, but I hope they're not of understanding." Hmm. And and then they kind of like finish this exchange by Elizabeth saying, "You hate everyone. Like how can you like yeah. like how can you hope to have uh, like a sound understanding when you just hate everyone you meet. And he's like, well, you misunderstand everyone. You willful, your predisposition is to willfully misunderstand people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's this like really like intense exchange yeah. real quick yeah. uh, because he, he says, I can't vouch for my temper. It might be called resentful. Mm-hmm. Um, he like, and it's him trying to expo- express that like, I know I'm bad at this yeah. and I know I can like, I know I can be an asshole. Yeah. Um, and he does not like being that person. Yeah. And she sort of closes the conversation with that is a flaw, but I can't laugh at it. Yeah. And it's this, again, it's a, a, a weird energy. Yeah. Um, it's also a very, like, it's the first time they begin. Well, it's, it's just a weird scene because we've seen what courting looks like. Yeah. Elsewhere in this world, it's all very superficial. Yeah. People don't do this. People don't get into these types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that, like, in this moment, I think this is a moment of, like, small, like, is, like, sympathy. Like, it, it is sort of... And, and this is a pivotal moment that I think it will will be confusing for for Lizzie going forward is that she like sees this kind of crack in the wall and then and then you know she gets so many different accounts from him in the future that 
it's just it how do you how do you make sense of all of this and um yeah it is it is like a very in, intimate conversation like the f- fucking bingley and jane are like do you like to dance i like to dance isn't this pleasant yeah. like it is like and even they're when sweet you, kids they're sweet kids and even when you go forward into you know uh, uh, Lizzie and which I guess we'll talk you know uh, in in the future about Lizzie and Mr. Wickham like their conversation ex- except for like one sort of big moment mm-hmm. which isn't even uh, I mean whatever most of their conversation is like pleasantries and small talk and it's not like it is not this like intense intimate like dialogue for the most part like she likes him without getting that like she's like just interested yeah. in t- in in him because he seems like a genuine sort of person who's like like very you know upfront about who he is and and what his status is and she like she likes that but she, this kind of dialogue does not it doesn't even happen between Bingley and Darcy like it 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 exists no it, the the closest to it is is actually Lizzie and Jane Lizzie and Jane are like the yeah. most upfront yes. with like the most have like the most intimate dialogue about sort of like their feelings and emotions and understandings of the world and and their place in it. And 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 so it's it's interesting that like Yeah, I think they smell it out in each other mm-hmm. through some of this sort of feeling out process and, and some through some of the earlier scenes uh, at the earlier balls, kind of like she is very attracted to a guy i think that she feels like she can kind of do this to i think she doesn't know that yet but she is very like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put this guy through his paces and he is the same way i think they just sniff this out in each other and seek it out and don't know that they should seek it out and maybe think that they shouldn't seek it out uh, on a lot of levels but it is like I mean, this is the core attraction to this work, right, over the years, is this intense romance that plays out as intense sparring in so many ways yeah. mm-hmm. uh, between these two characters. Well, and this idea of courtship being about actually getting to know the essential person yes, underneath it all, which, like, one of the threads running through this, and it's made explicit by the character of Charlotte, is who knows – who knows who they marry? Who knows mm-hmm. what your life is going to be like mm-hmm. together? Who knows how any of this is going to shake out? Because nobody knows each other until they're already in the marriage. Nobody yeah. knows each other until it's they're not, already committed. Yeah. It's not worth getting to know someone yeah. if you're not going to get a ring out of it. Like, it is not yeah. worth spending the time to get to know someone because that's time wasted, essentially, if it doesn't end up in a marriage state, which is like, it speaks so much to the precariousness of of being a woman yes. in this time period. Like, it speaks so much to, like, the, like, ambiguousness of futures and, and or ambiguity of futures and, and you know, insecurity in, in status and, and in just, like, livelihood um, for women in, in this context. So, like, there is an intense uh, relationship developing between Darcy and Elizabeth, uh, but sadly, uh, it's almost time to go home uh, because... Jane is starting to get better, and Mrs. Bennett is going to show up. Oh, fuck, and, I forgot they uh, show up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which I think we can get into more of this later, but there's something I want to bring up here, which is that Mrs. Bennett arrives kind of in the middle of breakfast. Mm-hmm. And it's like not calling time. 
Yeah. Have y'all noticed the breakfasts, though? They're buttering their their biscuits. There is some of the most serious shit I've ever seen on the table happening in the breakfast of this. Like, like breakfast at Netherfield, there appears to be some sort of, like, giant salami pie that people are eating. Like, there is this giant, like, ring cake with what appears to be a goddamn salami in the middle of it. That oh. people are just like, yeah, better, better serve myself up, like, eight slices of this and have sausage on the side. And you know what? Let's put some butter on that. Oh. Like, what the fuck is happening? A lot of butter. I'm concerned. I'm concerned for them. Was heart disease a major problem in this period of time? See, I don't think that's what got you. You like, died of pneumonia right, at 42, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, considering what they were doing in the rain, throwing their, their young, healthy children out in the rain on the workhorse, I don't true, know. True. I believe it. I don't know. I'm here for them to live their lives. I question the <laughs> makings of that. I question the content. <laughs> but I am all here for eating whatever the fuck you want. So, yeah. That's yeah. Fair. Uh, I just, I can't help but look at it with just like almost admiration and astonishment. Yeah, uh, it is really, like truly a marvel. Be... I think yeah, they, it's like <laughs> they gave into astonishment on this one, Rob. Oh, yeah. I think they did. Oh, see, I, I don't think they surrendered. I think they were like, you know what? <laughs> I do need bacon and I need sausages. I also need sausages in some sort of cake pie thing. <laughs> Gross. And isn't jam delicious. Uh, it is <laughs> needs a little more butter though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Mrs. Bennett shows up and it's clearly time for the, the Bennett girls to be maybe getting along and getting movie moving. Uh, Mrs. Bennett not having that encourages them to stay uh, a bit, a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also a scene uh, that, that sets up we have a, we have a breakfast discussion of uh what they make of the Bennett family. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few places where people are getting overtly like making statements about the nature of class and gender dynamics in their society. Um, And it is the Bingley sisters bagging on the Bennett's and, uh, and talking about how bad their relations are Mm -hmm. and how poor they are. And Bingley is horrified. He's yeah. sitting there just like it. I, I really feel bad for the guy at this point. Cause like, imagine being just a nice, naive person, just a nice, open hearted person in the society. And you're sitting there trying to have your breakfast of like eight different animals <laughs> and like four different like car- carbohydrates. <laughs> so you're just trying to, you're just a simple man trying to eat this enormously complicated breakfast that required a team of specialists to assemble over a period of days. And you hear your best friend, and your sisters just going off. And just being the worst assholes. Yeah. Uh, Shit talking your day. There. Yeah. 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 Well, just she's like, like sick just, upstairs. And she's dying in the bed they threw her in. <laughs> yeah. And he's just sitting there like, what? Like, he has this look of like, what is happening? Like, why? Why is this happening? Yeah. Um, and Darcy has this. It's, it's a weird. It, it's a weird thing. I don't know how to read it. Yeah. He turns to Bingley and he says, you're missing the material point which is that with such poor conditions and poor relations, they can't hope to make a, an eligible match. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on the one hand, Darcy is being very realistic, but also he seems disgusted by having like, you know what I mean? Like it's this, he, he sends out this, this sort of weird vibe of he hates this too, maybe a little yeah. bit. Like he finds it gross, but he will absolutely like in general play by those rules. He mm-hmm. doesn't like it, but he understands it. And regrettably, it's probably for the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's, it's a weird note in that character. He's a moderate Republican holding his nose. And, uh, mm. you know, voting for the candidate that's there. It's, uh, I might not like uh, X, Y, and Z, but yeah, this is clearly what we got to do here uh, if we want to remain rich and privileged. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's an unfortunate circumstance. It's like, mm, uh, this is just like the way it is kind of. And, and that's unfortunate. And like, even Caroline says that she's like, I really like Jane. I think she's sweet. And I like, I've liked having her here. But, like, everything around her is just fucking terrible. It's just just completely improper and and awful and and unlike us. and 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 so, so yeah, nice. it's like it's like a weird, like pity thing that, like, I think Darcy's pitying. Uh, Bingley for like having you know developed feelings for her and Caroline's like kind of pitying Jane herself for like having been born into this specific situation uh, because in any other like if she was of of in their con in in their class she would be you know they would be fast right. friends and and that's just because fucking Jane is nice and is not a fucking yeah. asshole <laughs> like Jane is just being nice to y'all and like is like. Like, you know, is just is is like uh, uh, just a, a, a nice person to be around. Yeah. And 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 they like they take advantage of that. I think they're like they yeah. it, they see they see their compatibility as, you know, a mark that like she should have been someone else. Like she should have been yep. a part of their class. And it's like, no. She's just a genuine person that knows how to like form like genuine connections and not like authentic relationships with people. It like it's it's you know regardless of her class, and they're like mistaking that for like a missed opportunity, basically. Um, anyway, yeah. But what we get to in the second half of this episode uh, is that despite all of this. Do they maybe have a point when it comes to the Bennets? <laughs> is Jane a little bit surrounded by trash? Uh, I mean, we'll get into that in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's a case to be made, and there is some evidence uh, to be entered in the uh, entered entered in the ledger. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> Uh, but we'll get to that in the second half. Uh, Natalie, it sounds like you and I are going to have a deep dive on Mr. Collins. I can't wait. Um, and that entire situation. Uh, and Danielle, you'll be back with us for the next episode uh, where shit gets real. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Please Epis- enjoy. <laughs> episode two coming up of the of the show. Not of us. This is all still one episode. <laughs> Kato, you'll you'll fix this, right? It'll, like just fix. no awkward breaks. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Kato fixes everything. <laughs> So we're back for 
part two of part one of our Pride and Prejudice uh, <laughs> series, which was going to be two episodes. Now it's three episodes, the first of which is double length. Uh, I so we're thought doing you well. were going to do the intro to like the whole show. I like completely forgot that this was a part two. I've completely forgot that we were like, okay, we're going to take a Like we just came back from a break. <laughs> yeah, no, right. There's just, there's just like a cut in the podcast. Uh, Danielle just left the room. She just left the room. Now we're going to be talking about episode two of the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. And we're going to get into, I'm going to get right into it because this is how the second episode leads off. We're going to get into one of the most unforgettable uh, and hysterically funny characters in this series, mm-hmm. which is Mr. Collins. Mr. Uh, fucking Collins. Yeah, so Mr. Collins, uh, I, I, I have a note here uh, mm-hmm. where, where Mr. Collins is basically Regency Dan Ninen. <laughs> and I think that kind of sums up what he, what he's, what his sort of mode of operating in the society. But the way he's introduced mm-hmm. is we've already had reference to the fact that like the Bennett family, uh, the estate is entailed away uh, mm-hmm. from the female line. So Mr. Bennett, once he passes, his wife, his daughters do not inherit uh, Longbourn. They don't inherit the estate. They inherit mm-hmm. some money, but they do not inherit the estate. Instead, it will pass to this other branch of the family. Uh, which is which, Mr. Bennett's cousin. Yeah, Mr. Collins. And we get this introduction it starts out in Mr. Bennett's uh, voice as he reads this letter saying, hey, I'm coming over. But it transitions to <laughs> Mr. Collins explaining the purposes of, of his visit and where he's mm-hmm. at in his life. Um, Natalie, what what did you what, – what were the key takeaways in this introduction of Mr. Collins uh, for, for you? You know, just that he's really, you know, in service of women. He's here for women. He's here to to – to uh, uh, support the the women of the Bennett family, and he is, you know, he's coming through to 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 really just help him out, you know. Yeah, just <laughs> he, you know, he feels bad about he feels bad about this the estate. Sin- he recognizes the problems in patriarchal this this patriarchal society in the sense that everything passes through through the male heir and he sees that and he he wants to ally himself with the Bennett women and so he's really just trying to you know marry one of them to satisfy his patroness lady catherine de burg don't forget it never forget it got it memorized and <laughs> By satisfying, in satisfying her, and in satisfying uh, uh, the Bennett women, he he will he will ultimately, you know, actually be be he he is in their service. He is doing this for them. Yeah, that's the. Uh, it's an interesting series of motivations he brings to this uh, from the start. He's like newly. Um, oh gosh, what what are you? He's a clergyman. Yeah, when you finish seminary, it's not grad. You don't graduate. It's I'm forgetting the word. Oh, you're. It's like a residency, kind of, right? Uh, yeah. He's like he's like a newly installed parson. 
uh, oh, yeah, in, this, yeah. in this community. He's, he's gotten his parsonage. Uh, even though he's not come across like a young man, he comes across like, uh, you know, kind of an old fuss budget, I guess is the way mm-hmm. I put it. Uh, he's, he's a young man. And yeah, he, he feels bad about inheriting this land. And he comes to Longbourn not quite explicitly saying he's there to sort of look at the menu of Bennett women, <laughs> but like he kind of talks about like wanting to show respect and regard yeah. to the to the women of the family. Hopefully uh, they can come to some sort of, you know, agreement that will yeah. benefit them both. And then it's all being motivated by the fact that he's got this uh the, the this patron, Lady Catherine de Berg, who Right now, it's just kind of an offstage figure. Uh, is is the rich lady in his, uh, you know, in in his district? It's like the one. It's like your. It's it's like your friend that has the one the one friend that like has clout or something, and that just name yeah. drops them at every single opportunity they can. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah my homie, like blah blah blah, blah who you know is like. an up and coming SoundCloud rapper, or is you know. Uh, uh, a pretty big Instagram influencer or, you know, really is is killing this pyramid scheme that that he started, whatever it may be, but that incessantly name drops them at any given opportunity, even when it's an, it's like not an opportunity, even when right. it's just completely unrelated and finds a way to 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 fit them in. Yeah. And I am. Like, I have to say, I'm I am incredibly impressed at the way he he weaves Lady Catherine de Bourgh into every conversation. It is actually impressive. It's like six <laughs> degrees of Lady Catherine, but it's like two degrees in his hands. Yeah. It's like everything is just like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of that reminds me of something Lady Catherine did the other day. It was so funny. Oh, uh, you don't know her? Oh, she's just, you know, like this really rich lady that like is my patroness. And, you know, my my estate just is is a is a but. What does he say? Like a but. Oh, the- yeah. Uh, but yeah, my my humble abode is separated from her from her ladyship's estate by but a single lane or something like that. Uh, it's it's amazing, and this all comes yeah, this all comes out. We learn this at this dinner that has some of the best dynamics mm-hmm. of the sort of the subliminal like conversation happening between Lizzie, uh, Jane, and their father. Mm-hmm. is so convincing. It is so well-performed. Because Mr. Bennett, and again, this is like why you can end up also kind of liking the guy. He understands immediately, this dude is a clown. Yeah. And he can't help but start and just like poke fun at the guy. Because like if you give Mr. Collins an opportunity to make an ass of himself, he's going to do it. It takes no setup at all. Just it'll yeah. happen. Yeah. And but also you can also see like Mr. Bennett's kind of being so obvious in trolling this guy. Yeah. That it's becoming awkward. Like Mr. Collins is oblivious, he doesn't know it, but you start seeing like Lizzie shoot warning glances at him, right? Mm-hmm. Like what you, like what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. what why are you why are you encouraging this? And uh both uh Jennifer L playing Lizzie and uh, S- uh Susanna Harker playing Jane do a great job of just looking like they're just trying to get through this meal without completely losing their shit. Yeah. Um and there's this great line. So one of the things that emerges is Mr. Collins starts recounting various compliments he's paid to Lady Catherine. 
Like I said, the like I said the most charming thing to her, and Mr. Bennett sets up this sets him up. He's just like he says, uh, you know what, like what a wonderful, what a happy skill. Yeah, how uh, happy to, for you that you possess like the skill to for to flattery. Con- yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Mr. Collins' response. Yes. So he basically asks, does this stuff just occur to you or is it the product of some study? Of, yeah, of some previous meditation. And Mr. Collins basically cops the fact like he he does think about these things. He writes them down and thinks about those little compliments that that ladies will find agreeable. And then like immediately shoots this look at Jane, who, remember, is. Uh, the 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 gorgeous uh, uh, Bennett daughter, and is immediately like started looking at her over this dinner, like uh, you know she is like I've got a couple course. in my pocket for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple written down just for you. Wrote them on the wrote them down on the way over. Yeah, and uh, it, it it immediately becomes an issue uh, where you see their mother sort of clocked the fact that he is starting to look at Jane. And the next thing we get is a conversation between her and Mr. Collins as he surveys the daughters um, and is trying to figure out which one he's going to court. And Mrs. Bennett just mentions that Jane is probably going to be engaged soon to Bingley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Lizzie Lizzie. He's up for grabs. Yeah. Um, and so immediately he just descends on Lizzie there and asks asks her to to walk him into town where they encounter another major character. And I'm curious, this is you've seen the movie a million times, so you know what to expect. What's your read off of uh this this new character we meet in town, George Wickham? Like what vibes is he is he putting putting down for you? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Uh, uh, could you repeat that? Yeah. So you've seen the uh, Kira Knightley version. You've read the story. Like so, you know what you're getting into. But I am curious. What's your what what read do you take away from George Wickham in this first introduction? What are the things that leap out at you uh, in this sort of characterization? You know, Wickham is like he seems. Like he is just intensely charming with with just like n- no effort at all. Like he just seems like agreeable and and you know without without looking like I mean it's funny that they're that it's pitted with Mr. Collins right there and who's just like so over the top and like is it's just so forced that Lizzie is like has this other you know, person approach her that is just like, ch- like chill and is not, you know, trying yeah. like such a try hard that, uh, any, any, anyone like with any degree less intensity of, of, uh, from Mr. Collins is going to seem like, uh, just moi, like just good, like just a, a an, an, an incredible person. Um, but I think, I think, watching the uh the show actually it's it's a little bit more subtle i think mr wickham as a character his sort of arc becomes is like more drawn out obviously but i don't 
at at first introduction there, I didn't get the full like I didn't get the full I didn't have all the information right there that he was going to end up the way that I know he's going to end up, if that makes sense. Like it was almost like he seemed even more normal than I was expecting. Like he just seemed kind of like a regular person who like wasn't necessarily like trying so hard to to like he was just like engaging with Lizzie and they kind of were having their own sort of side com- like side sort of like connection. But it wasn't so over the top that I was like, wow, this is a love connection, like off the bat. But I think it just like showed a moment of like Lizzie's interest. It like showed a moment of like, okay, this is like the kind of thing Lizzie's looking for. Like this is the kind like seeing her spark up like that in a way that, you know, they could meet each other at the same sort of place um, without like the going to the degree that her and Mr. Darcy have been going with like that intensity and that just like. Um, almost like it, intimacy, just so quick. Um, yeah. but this seemed like the the slowed down version of that, where they were just like having a conversation that they were both enjoying, and that was something significant for her. That that she was like happy in this conversation, not because she was like getting one over on the other person, but because she like felt like she was kind of with an equal. Yeah, that's a good point about also how Mr. Collins kind of sets this up. Uh, I think an easy thing to underrate is the degree to which they are from a, like their world is very small in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. You get the sense that there are not a ton of families nearby, and there's a joke in the in the previous episode about how many families do you dine with, right? If the entire mm-hmm. upper society, uh, you know, if all, if all the families with like landed estates, uh, you know, in, in in the province get together, like how many people are there? It's not twenty four. Yep, twenty four. Yeah, which and is a so, lot of families. I can't think of fucking twenty four families I fucking hang out with. No, I don't like have twenty four friends. Yeah, no, no, it's ex- it's exhausting. My God, what a <laughs> what hard work it was just to be a person, uh, you know, in the in the world there. But yeah, you get the sense that like. Bingley's don't come along every day, but neither do uh, George Wickham's, right? Like just interesting, you know, interesting guys, uh, you know, of, of of her age in her peer group uh, are, are not an everyday occurrence. And I, yeah, I don't think it's this immediate like intense connection, but she is willing to be charmed and mm. certainly next to. Mr. Collins and coming after the more negative and intense attention of like Mr. Darcy, Wickham seems uh, really warm and welcoming and safe at first. Just like a complete breath of fresh air. Yeah. Like that this is someone that she just has not had the, like a type of person that she has not had the opportunity to come across. Like that this, this is just never really been in her in her you know sort of vicinity this type of connection and so i remember when i saw this for the first time like this this production was my first introduction to pride and prejudice Mm -hmm. so i remember um you know pretty much everybody listening to this is going to know that like george wickham turns out to be one of like the famous romantic villains Mm -hmm. in literary history Mm -hmm. i remember the first time i watched this 
being completely won over by him in this first episode. Like this dude just seems cool as hell. Like, mm-hmm. and what is surprising to me here is the degree to which immediately it starts to feel off. Mm-hmm. Uh, like no, like partly it's knowing what I know now, but also I think again, I see l- things less just through Lizzie's eyes and mm-hmm. maybe a little more through other characters. And the next thing that we get is this, um, you know, party at, I think it's Mrs. Bennett's sister's uh, house mm-hmm. in town, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Phillips. Mm-hmm. They're attending this this sort of quiet evening at the at the Phillips household, and Wickham has been invited, and he starts fishing around because while they're in town, Darcy and Bingley ride by, and Darcy like gives him the death stare. Yeah, uh, and Wickham sort of tries to you know politely like doff his cap, and like Darcy's having none of it, just rides off. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not wild for Darcy, but at the same time, like, it's noticeable. Yeah. And the thing that jumps out at me now is, and other characters comment on this, but the speed at which Wickham starts telling his sob story. Yes. Like, the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, damn, this seems completely natural. Like, of Mm -hmm. course, like, oh, just what an interesting, open-hearted guy. Watching it now, like, everything about this feels like a pitcher going into his windup. Right? It's so, it's... It's so practiced and studied and it's completely mm-hmm. like the first time I saw it, it was completely invisible to me. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, when I think about it now, when I think about, you know, uh, my first encounter, which was with with the film and thinking, you know, the way he says, like, you know, now I am a poor foot soldier, like too lowly even to be noticed. And it's like just that language is so like emotionally manipulative, like the way that he describes himself as this like poor soul who was like robbed of, of the future that he was meant to have or whatever. And, and it, and at the time I completely fell for it. And even, you know, like when I, when I first saw Mr. Wickham and Lizzie interact, I was like, I was rooting for them. Cause I felt like, yeah. you know, fuck Darcy. Darcy's like not as, like, not as cute, first of all. Mr. Wickham, way cuter in the film. In this one, both have, you know, solid, solid. They're both solid. types. Yeah, they're both types. Um, but in um in in this production in the in the BBC one, it I think it was because there was more time, like they had more time together. That and and it's also interesting because in the film, Mr. Collins is not there when uh Kira or when uh uh Elizabeth meets Mr. Wickham. She's mm-hmm. like just in town with with her sisters. Um uh which is interesting to me that they would leave Mr. Collins out of that. But uh in the in the BBC one, just the fact that they ha- they've like spent more time together, I felt like it was almost more earned. But at the same time, like this is like a deeply personal i don't know this is like at this time is it normal that right. like these kinds of conversations that are even happening like is it it and that's it the feels, thing it's not right you're supposed to it's be reticent. Not. no yeah it's totally not and that's the thing that i get like i get fooled by because i am like not thinking of the context here and i'm just thinking of like the characters themselves and like the the thing that you just said about like it being so rehearsed like this is something that 
he this is a this is a story that he's like honed like he is he has sharpened his sword on this story and it is just like it is just like delivered like each beat is right there's no hesitation there's no like the emotion is rehearsed like there's no sort of like there's nothing like holding him back it's delivering lines and and i can't believe like how sort of ignorant i was to it i mean it makes sense like he he's like that charming manipulative like sort of person but he really does sell this story and it's surprising to me that lizzie i think it's only because lizzie it's because of who lizzie is that she takes it for face value because with with Mr. Wickham she feels like she's already established a connection. She's already got him figured out. Um because she, you know, says that like at at first glance like she can she can read person a person within like the first impression basically. And so she, so Mr. Wickham has already been cleared basically. She he's already passed her like her test. And Darcy has just been, they've been at odds for the a whole time so far. And so I think she's a little bit more willing to see fault in him. Because the only source of, of positivity that she gets of Mr. Darcy is from Jane, who she just assumes to be a person who likes everyone. She just writes Jane off as like, yeah, she sees like something agreeable in everyone. Like she just sees everyone for their best characteristics well and jane's and, getting from bingley who's and getting also it from Bing- a sweetheart yeah exactly and so and so she's like well of course that of course jane is going to be like you know uh uh deterred in like her her um her makings of mr darcy because she's getting it from bingley and because she's just a nice person and is like not going to see fault in anyone and 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 to you know have some other account of Mr. Darcy, this like enigma who like is, is not someone from their, from their, from their community. He's an outsider. And so the fact that Mr. Wickham even knows him is like, Oh, like how are you like a random soldier connected with Mr. Darcy? Who's this other random fucking like upper class guy? Like that, that is like a big deal. I think the fact that like, he he just he's of her same he is her peer and he even has a connection to him and can and has like an account of him that differentiate like there's nothing in it for him kind of like uh, assume like in 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 lizzie's view there's like nothing in it for mr wickham to 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 you know right why would he lie there's no incentive yeah I think something else you said, like, because of who Lizzie is, she is inclined to buy everything she's being told at face value. And I think a big part of that as well is we've seen how Lizzie chafes at the strictures and, like, customs of her society, right? Like, in a lot of ways, like Darcy, she finds some of this tedious. She finds some of the performance tedious. Uh, She wants to get at something real. Right. Like she wants to like this is one reason why she and Darcy have these intense conversations is because they both basically do kind of live for that thing where let's just let's just cut past all the formulate bullshit and start like getting down to the essentials of a person. Right. Like have a like have a deep, meaningful conversation about who we really are. Mm-hmm. And the thing I remember is like that's extremely rare and unusual 
in their world, certainly. Like, this isn't a world where you can just go meet up for, you know, it's not a world where you can go meet up for coffee with somebody you're interested in and, like, have that conversation that goes all night and you learn all about a person. You can't do that in their mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. But Lizzie kind of craves that, I think, and is, is frustrated by the lack of it that a lot of social niceties and forms and customs impose on her. So when Wickham pulls that move mm -hmm. where he's like, okay, let me tell you what's really going on. Let me Let me give you my life story. Like, because of who Lizzie is, rather than say, like, wow, this is a weirdly intimate confession to just lead off with. This is, like, some also, heavy shit. at You're a fucking party. Right. Like, at, like, a literal social gathering that there's, like, her whole family's, like, there's just, that's just, like, unheard of. The fact that they would be, like, having this sort of intimate conversation, like, amongst other, like, other people are there. It just yeah. makes no sense. Like, that should have been a red flag. Like, why... But, but instead, but, it's like he's so real. Yeah. Because yeah. most people aren't. And so that's the thing is like most people aren't or, you know, that most people sort of play things off and sort of put, like put, like hide behind masks. Wickham makes a show of taking his mask off. And it's really interesting watch rewatching it now. The degree to which it's it's played and written very well the way in which he is a bad actor and mm -hmm. the way in which he's, uh, you know, what we're going to learn is basically a predator, but the things he does right from the start is he sort of asks a couple probing questions just to like get her temperature on Mr. Darcy. Like, yeah. Does she yeah. like, is, is she going to, think well of Mr. Darcy. And yeah. when he realizes that not really, she does not like him and is inclined to think badly of him. Then he feels completely comfortable mm -hmm. going into his spiel about, Oh yeah, Darcy and I grew up together. Uh, my father was, was his steward. Mm -hmm. I was promised by the old Mr. Darcy, uh, his father. I was promised a living. I was basically going to be the equivalent of Mr. Collins, uh, but in yeah. Darcy's parish, I was promised that living, uh, you know, guaranteed income, a good, again, what passes for the middle class, a good position in the middle class in, in mm -hmm. this era. That was all promised to me by Darcy's father. We had a falling out. Darcy, the current Darcy, refused to honor his father's will. Because stripped. he was jealous. Yeah. Because... Not because they had a falling out, but because Mr. Darcy was like purposefully com like committing an act of like vindication against uh, 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 Mr. Wickham for like drawing attention away from yeah. him. And the fucking thing is that who would this work on? Like Lizzie is almost too perfect of a of a character for this whole story to work on. Who knows Mr. Darcy? Like I think of like if Mr. Wickham had had you know what would have been his play if not for you know like i imagine him telling this to a, someone that doesn't know mr darcy and be like oh you know that's like that's pretty bad but that sucks like it seems like you know you really got one the rug pulled out from under you but to lizzie it is like so like it just like is the affirmation she was looking for of the of the doubt she had of Mr. of Mr. Darcy. Yeah. And that's what's like so wild to me is that out of everyone, like Lizzie was just the prime person to bring this sob story to. Um, yeah. And what are like, what are the odds? 
Well, but the other thing, though, is we learn uh, he tells the story to everybody in different versions to an extent, right? But like, so like you, like the thing I always have to remember with Wickham is that there's all this offstage behavior he's engaging in, all the stuff he's doing behind the scenes. Like, I always sort of look at Lizzie as like, she is one front on like a campaign of discrediting that he is running against Darcy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and to some extent or another, he's telling, he's, he's, he's sort of assessing how this is going over. He's reading his audience. He does a very like looking at, looking at the way he's played, Wicca, he's almost like Wickham is doing cold reads of people mm-hmm. and is very fucking good at it, right? Like Wickham could, like if he wanted to be a fucking charlatan psychic, he would make a killing at that too because he can like read reactions. He understands what people are looking for very well. Right. Without, without, you know, placing his own sort of like Lizzie does that too. Lizzie reads people and makes, and makes, you know, uh, uh, not assumptions, but just like makes decisions on who they are. But Lizzie has like a personal, it's a different type of personal investment. Yeah. And and Wickham's is like self motivated, like so he is trying he's trying to get something back, and well, Lizzie is like it's for her own sort of pleasure almost. It's like it's just like it's it's just a curiosity to her, and and that's what makes you know Mr. Wickham so much more malicious. Well, and this is this is one of the things, right? I think with Wickham. And this is going to become more explicit as we discuss the later parts, but Wickham is the person that nobody is prepared to deal with. Like there, there are other reasons that like one of the social critiques, I think, in Pride and Prejudice is that this society for all its roles, its codes of conduct is bad at dealing with bad actors. It does not protect the people it purports to. It does not act in the interest of the people it holds ostensibly, uh, you know, like like young women, basically, ostensibly in positions of like greatest honor and reverence. Society actually is very bad at protecting that. And that's it's not actually about protecting women. It's about protecting reputations. But mm-hmm. with Wickham, specifically, the thing that makes him really deadly, and I think this is, this is a reason why he's such a compelling character, most of us are not prepared for someone to be that bad an actor. Like we just the degree to like which somebody the the thought that somebody could completely fabricate their life story, their identity, their demeanor, completely falsify that and like play that role for you, like in repeated interactions. I like you'd have to be really paranoid to mm-hmm. like to, to screen that out uh, or or have some bad experiences. Uh, but if you haven't had those experiences, you're not going to see a Wickham coming because you would never assume that someone could be that duplicitous. And Yeah, because that is just like who the, who would fucking do that? Like I can't think like I don't oh god. I don't know, like in this in this sort of in this sort of context where your interactions, like the people you meet are are limited. Like you don't get yeah. access, you don't have access to the amount, the amount of people that we as like you and I have access to. It's just like, of course, there are bad actors. We see them all the fucking time because like our world is just ginormous. Yeah. And 
when you like bring it down to this like tiny town of like 24 families basically and you know you have some you have you know the regiment that comes in every once in a while you have some some wealthy people vacationing in the countryside like it's just you you haven't been marred yet by yeah. the fucking the terrible the terribleness of of people like the the fact that people can be bad and especially if you're like all like nobody it doesn't seem like here like the way you climb the social ladder is through marriage and like possibly your own merit like it's kind of unclear with the with the Mr. Phillips with the Phillips fam- or is it the Phillips right. no, no no is it the Phillips family that got knighted no, that's the Lucases. The Lucases, sorry, yeah. yeah. So the Lucases, who you know, the guy was like a shop. the The father, the patriarch, was a shop owner of some sort, some sort of trader, and became knighted. Like it's unclear how that sort of works, and I don't, I just don't know that time period well enough to know. But it doesn't seem like there, like the competition is in, is in marriage, like yeah. marriage potential mostly, because I think that's like the most accessible. Probably, but because there's not a lot of competition there, I feel like you just don't have that sort of like it's just it's not like it's not in your peer group yeah. that the the one upping each other is not like I don't know it's not a fucking Ponzi scheme. It's like oh I made some connections with people who like brought me up with them or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. at least like in 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 like Elizabeth's experience. So I don't yeah. know like why would she, yeah exactly why would she have reason to see the worst in this person who is just a member of the regiment which like seems like kind of like a working class like sort of I mean he like he paints himself as this like super lowly you know foot soldier basically but it's like, what does he have to gain? He's he can't yeah. move up in that any by any by any way other than like making connections or by the merit of his of his you know soldieriness yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, or, I don't yeah. know. Or he can find a way to marry well, but yeah. again, like because he has no connections, he probably won't be able to do that. Yeah. Um, at least that's that's the thinking. Now there are other people who kind of immediately start sounding a warning note about. Wickham, uh, there's a point where she introduces uh, Wickham to her family. Um, well, I think that actually, I think that's the next episode. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we can get to uh, that. It's actually uh, um, Miss Bingley, who you know is is one of the first ones to yeah uh, say something about Mister Wickham, which is. Like <laughs> the exact wrong messenger. Yeah. <laughs> Why the fuck would Lizzie listen to Ms. Bingley? Literally but we should, the, so that happens in the Netherfield ball. So we should get to yeah. that. Cause I guess yeah, the, that's the there. next big set piece. Uh, the, the party of the Phillips winds, winds down. Uh, there's some great Mr. Collins uh, stuff uh, trying to compliment uh, Mrs. Phillips. Oh yeah. This he is says, amazing. Your whole home reminds me of the small breakfast room at Rosings. Mm-hmm. And she's like, the Excuse fuck? <laughs> And, Excuse? Yeah, and he completely misses it. Uh, and they have to sort and of. And he's like, 
oh, well, there's like a $800, which is like a gajillion dollars, I guess. And he's like, there's an $800 fireplace in there. Trust me, it's a compliment. Like, shut up. Oh, you are the worst. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Uh, you know, this, this is the episode because, yes, Wickham comes calling at the Bennetts. Uh, there's the entire, um, like, the, there's a sequence where he's describing the fireplace. Mr. Collins is describing to Wickham the fireplace at Rosings. Uh, Wickham does get a great line off. Um, her ladyship is fond of a good blaze then uh, is is a pretty great one-liner. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Bennett notes that um, Wickham is very quick to tell stories of his misfortunes. Mm. Um which again, like Lizzie defends him, but immediately, like you learn, he meets this new family and like over tea is just like, so, uh, just so you know, Darcy screwed me out of my inheritance. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Bennett now sort of realizes that this is kind of weird. This is a weird. Does he tell that off. to the whole family? Yeah, no, because Mr. Oh, Bennett, I missed that. Mr. Bennett winds down with it was so good of Mr. Wickham to regale us all with stories of his misfortunes. Uh, and yeah, so, I'm remembering now, yeah, yeah. So we have like he comes over to their house and spends the entire time hanging out with the family, basically telling a version of the story he told Lizzie. Which again, mm-hmm. like, but now now it's weird, and everyone else notices this is weird, mm-hmm. and Lizzie's response is, "No, don't you see? It proves what an asshole Darcy is." Yeah. Uh, don't you think Wickham's really gotten screwed in this deal? Uh, she clearly is crushing on Wickham. Um, yeah. She doesn't deny that when, when Jane asks about it. Uh, but nevertheless, um, he says that be, despite his, his past with Darcy, Darcy's going to have to avoid him. He's not mm-hmm. going to. He's not going to run. He's done nothing to be ashamed of. Sure. Uh, Darcy's going to have to be the one to, you know, to, to swerve. Um, and you so know, come, I never thought about that. Yeah, I never thought about the fact that until you just brought it up, the fact that he says he's never going to run from Darcy and sets that up and then doesn't fucking show up to the Netherfield ball. Yes, it is such a tell and like went right by me. First, I never thought about that. Yeah, because because why if you if you're telling the truth, the truth does not need any defense, as my mom loves to tell me, loves to. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not out here dragging my mom. Yeah. Sometimes the I truth also, needs help. This is I also can't lie for shit. So yeah. I am like I have the easiest tell. You can tell immediately when I'm lying. So but anyway, enough about me. Um <laughs> <laughs> hair flip. Hair flip. Um uh aren't I so benevolent and honest and such a true person? Um <laughs> <laughs> I but, de- you can trust me. I can't lie. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's true. I'll just start like laughing a lot and then get really stressed out. Um, so when Wickham sets up the fact that, you know, he's not going to stand down in a showdown with Mr. Darcy, like he's like a social Mr. Darcy's not going to stop him from a social event that's at the place that he's staying at. With all of his friends and everyone that cares about Darcy, that won't stop Wickham, but he doesn't show up. And the fact, and that is so, it's so telling that he doesn't show up and then like says that. And I believed it. 
Like I think about it and I fucking believed it when when the friend comes up to when when uh Wickham's friend comes up to Lizzie and is like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like that guy's gotta be in on this, right? Or maybe he's just getting as duped as everyone no, else. I've always read these guys do not know who the fuck he is. Like they vaguely know him, but they're officers in the regiment he's mm. he's joining. You buy your commissions. Mm. So you can just show up in this era. You you're gonna just show up and be yeah. like, I'm buying commission in this regiment. All right, you're an officer. I now. see. I'm not sure. Like, Denny's like friendly with him, but I'm yeah. not sure. I've never understood like whether or not Darcy, uh, Denny, and Wickham are actually friends, or if it's just like gotcha. You know. Um, but he he comes up to Lizzie and is like, you know, I'm so sorry, Mr. Wickham got called away to town um, on business, um, but you know, he did say that he would have been more inclined to come had it not been. For a certain someone um, with whom he had, like, whatever, like, problems with or whatever their jargon is. So that is, all like, on top of it all, like, Wickham is, like, name dropping. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going tomorrow. But um, also, don't forget to mention that it's mostly because I don't want to see Mr. Darcy. Which is no. like you just said that you wouldn't stand down if you were like face to face with Mr. Darcy. So like, yeah, I can't well, believe I God, that. I, I totally forgot. So, I feel like Elizabeth. I totally forgot too when when Lizzie asks about uh, Darcy's sister, and Wickham is like, "Yeah, she used to be a nice kid, but now she's a real asshole." I'm like, man, you go to hell, Dar- uh, Wickham. Yeah, who's a child? Like, Mr. Darcy's sister is like 15. Yeah, and and it's funny because in the um in the in the movie he doesn't talk. I don't think he ever talks about Mr. Like that conversation never happens, and so you find out. Like, I won't spoil it in case people are are waiting, um, or like watching along with us, but. This conversation, having this in the BBC one, is like, you, mm. yep. we, we'll get there. But yep. this, this, this like specific conversation, yeah. yeah, it is like, you are just a, t- a huge piece of shit. You are. Yeah, so we come to the Netherfield Ball, and um, we get God, just classic Mrs. Bennett, uh, again, telling Lizzie. As Lizzie's trying to get ready for this thing. You look quite nice. You'll never be as pretty as Jane, but you look all right. Of course. Uh, again, just and again, I think it's another moment where you you see how tough it is to be Jane's sister in this fucking house. Um, mm-hmm. To always be sort of measured against that standard, um, and always reminded of this one way in which, at least in your mother's eyes uh, and the eyes of a lot of the you know people in your society, you are deficient next to her. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think informs a lot of Lizzie's Lizzie's character. Um, the ball is, I think, it's just it's it's a great sequence. Um, I think the place to start is because all things really go off the rails after uh, Darcy and Elizabeth dance, uh, but. Before that happens, you get uh, Mr. Collins dancing with Elizabeth. He makes an ass of himself. But then there's this shot that I found really – it's a really well-edited shot, but it's also a shot that tells you a lot about who a character is. Um, This this 
production of Pride and Prejudice is in love with Mr. Darcy. Um, and I think this is the big difference between it and the Kira Knightley version. Mm-hmm. I think McFadden's uh, Darcy in that movie is believably awkward. The thing I've always liked about his performance is that, I don't know, he's always He gets seen- flustered. Yeah. He, he like he he gets tripped up. He's like not perfect. He's not always on. Like he tries to be as on as possible, but Lizzie breaks him down. Like that yeah. that I, sort of dynamic is is so different from the dynamic between uh Colin Firth and uh Jennifer L. And I think on that one Squirts maybe a little more representative of the book, re- representative of the book. Mhm. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's sort of that's that's the thing right like that's that's what makes this connection significant is that lizzie is able to like break down these walls and show the cracks and and you know bring them out in mr darcy and but but the film also has that extremely their their dance is extremely goofy in the fact that like everyone else actually disappears and then they have this like silent like intense dance together where it's just like pulsating with like just sexual tension and then they come back and like everyone's there again and they're like whoa what was that like this where is- did we go together and it's just like oh that, okay. yeah, that's the, that's the part they fuck up right it's like yeah. the movie's version of Darcy is more convincing like Darcy does not mean to be this incompetent socially Mm-hmm. And in the book, you can see, like, actually much earlier in the book, he begins trying to walk back his fuck-ups and yeah. is clearly trying to, like, be a little bit nicer to Elizabeth and just try to, like, sort of reset that a little bit. And, like, she's not having it. Mm-hmm. In the book, it is clear that, like, she is going really hard at Darcy past the point where he is putting up any kind of fight. Uh, I think where that movie does fall a little bit apart is the, it, it plays into that really like toxic idea of like two people who detest each other, but like really just want to like bone down. Yeah. And it's like, at that's no, some Hollywood shit. Yeah. At no point until the turn happens in this production, like you never get the sense that Jennifer L is really like, attracted to this guy like she doesn't yeah. like him you don't get the sense that like there's this smoldering like electricity between them mm-hmm. she is interested in him because he's kind of an odd figure and he's interesting mm-hmm. on that level uh but at no point like Kira knightley and and mcfadden you always suspect like might be about to make out like like frantically in a scene yeah. whereas elizabeth is always like <laughs> Jennifer L, you know, calling her Elizabeth. Jennifer L always plays Elizabeth as being like just this close to blowing the guy off entirely and just being yeah. like, fuck this, I'm out. I mean, I think it, it, like you can see that a lot in, in her body language. Like she's not, she like keeps, she keeps space between them. And Kira and, 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 uh, Knightley and McFadden. Yep. Um, uh, they, they come much closer. Yeah. Much, much closer. And I think that adds a lot to it. Um, they're like shot in like very tight spaces. They're like very close to each other. The rooms look small. Like it's just like they look like tight and close. And uh he's always and, got that Hollywood lighting just hitting her eyes. Just uh, looking yeah. like a fucking angel. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, but uh, L and Firth look like they, there's always space between them, yeah. and the rooms look big, and and you know they're not coming up to each other. It's like it's slow and like hesitant, and you know you can see in the way that they approach each other the 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 hesitance there, and like the mm, I guess I'll engage. Um, at least from Al, especially. Yeah. And Firth is kind of like a, a, one step ahead. Yeah. So before they dance, there's the shot where she's dancing with Mr. Collins. And you see Darcy sort of smirk because Collins is fucking up the dance. Uh, like, like he sort of screws like up everything. royally. Yeah. Like he's just like walking full, like face first into people um, at, at, at full tilt. And it's so much. Then there's the shot, though. Darcy begins walking along the edge of the dance floor. And we get basically Darcy Cam. A POV <laughs> shot from a POV shot from his uh from his perspective where he starts straining to see the dancers and it's foregrounded in the foreground are all these people like standing at the edge of the dance it's all like fancy, you know, um you know what do you call it? like it's all like fucking like Roman hairstyles and tiaras and feathered yeah. headdresses and shit like that. Uh, but the way it comes across is like it's also like he's trying to see the dance floor through like the edge of a forest. Right. Like mm-hmm. that he's almost like again, it's like almost like a predatory gaze or, or yeah. like a very watchful gaze on the dance floor. And you see him sort of taking in everything uh, that is happening on the dance floor. Like you realize like you will learn later he is sort of clocking everything that is happening in mm-hmm. this in this scene. He is hearing lines of dialogue that we don't think he can hear, but like he he is, is again kind of recording them. Um, and he's sort of paying attention to like the body language between Bingley and Jane, and it's an illuminating shot, I think, because in this version of the story Darcy just approaches all of this this entire like social life with this really like defensive mindset right that mm-hmm. like it is this is a dangerous environment and he like always needs to be like on alert um yeah and he's always very guarded and so it makes it really interesting when he finally sort of you know, works up the both the courage and the humility to ask Elizabeth to dance uh, and almost walks into her just viciously dragging him to Charlotte Lucas, uh, mm-hmm. who makes the comment that you would be a fool if you if your affection for Wickham caused you to slight a man of 10 times his consequence, uh, which is the first insight we get into Charlotte being like, what if Lizzie were just a real like really committed pragmatist? Yeah. Right. Like Charlotte always feels to me like Lizzie, but way less idealistic and way more like kind of jaded about the world. Yeah. It's like there's a reason why they're friends is because they can meet on that sort of intellectual level. But Charlotte also is like, I know what the fuck it is. I know what this what this world is like. I know what my role is in it and how I can move about it. I'm going I'm going to take try to use that cognizance as much as I can to my advantage, but I'm not going to break the system 
because I'm just I'm no. I'm not because that's just not in the cards for me. So Charlotte is a fascinating character. Yeah. Um as far as the dance goes, Lizzie kind of turns it into an interrogation of Darcy. Uh it's interesting. I can never work out like what What's Darcy's plan with any of this? Like he is so clear. And the the answer is he doesn't have one. He, like, yeah, I don't think he really knows. He hasn't worked out how he feels or what he wants. Uh, on one level, he wants to run like hell from this entire like you know backwater and take his friends and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's I don't think so. He doesn't. He asks her to dance. He wants to get to know her, but like once they're dancing, he has nothing to say to her. Just it's it's awkward, and so she starts interrogating him about. Um, a variety of topics, but basically circling around the issue of Wickham. At first, she's like, why aren't we talking? Yeah. She's like, we should be talking. That's what. Pe- that's why people dance is so they can have their own little intimate conversations. Why are we not talking? Say something. And it and it's so obvious that Darcy went in without a plan. It's like, it's so obvious that this was like an impulse. And he was just like, like like I have to get close to you sort of like I need yeah. to, I need to like work through what I am feeling somehow, but I don't know what I'm doing. So he just goes for it without any sort of idea of what, what he's going to do after or during or anything. And then, and Lizzie is like, why are you talking to me? Or like, why are we dancing? If you're not going to talk to me and if you're not gonna, like, if I'm if I'm if I have you here, I might as well fucking confront you. Like like she's just getting like more and more sort of like aggravated with him as he's sort of like just putzing around like not saying anything and just like like deep in his own head and like to snap him out of it, to like kind of bring him out. She's like, All right, what is like who are you? Who are you? Yep. What are we doing? What the fuck did you do to Mr. Wickham? Yeah, it's and he starts like trying to figure out like he's sort of asking, do you often go into town? And it's sort of his like, hey, have you met this guy? Like he he cracks the door open and then she comes barreling through it. And this is all played to this is all he knows. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, but she is already so far into Wickham's version of events that like she immediately goes at him. And this is all happening over the entire dance feels like a bit of a chess match. Uh, it is set to a song called Mr. Beverage's maggot, um, which hmm. is, yeah, it's look, it is a Regency banger. Uh, oh if yeah. You are, this, this song pops up in so many adaptations of Austin it is wild. really oh yeah like whenever you've got like it is the song that plays uh when people are going to do these sort of fancy uh like really structured the dance dances. time yeah yeah um but knowing what we know by the end uh she is wildly out of bounds uh over the course of this conversation because she starts pressing him on he's already made a point of like what a vindictive person he can be and she asks, but are you sure you the people you're vindictive to deserve it? And his response immediately is like the defenses are going back up. He's like, yeah, I am like, I know I feel good about the enmities I have basically. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, nah, you're wrong. 
I think you're just an asshole. And he has no response. And the way he basically like surrenders by the end of the dance and all he can like sort of muster to recover some face at the end of this is what is it? He says like, I would ask you don't try to sketch my character right now. It wouldn't reflect well on either of us, which is again, like, you know, this is, this is like Darcy has completely screwed everything up here. He's misrepresented himself. Nothing has gone right. And so by the end, all he's got is this vague, like, gee, I wish you knew the real me. Please don't. Yeah. I hope you don't hate me. And that's it. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's, that's all he's got at the end of this. Um, and then the rest of the party goes on and we get a real taste of what a disaster it is when all the Bennets get together. And what a disaster it is. It is just an absolute fucking conundrum of chaos. It is like watching, um, hmm. I said I said before this pod started that my my word of the series is excruciating and this is just the absolute epitome of that so far. And we're in the second episode, which yeah. is just incredible. But yeah, I mean you see you see, you know, the the lack of self-awareness that all of the Bennets possess um except for Jane and well, I guess Jane does have a certain lack of self-awareness in the sense that she doesn't know how mm. her like she doesn't know how her affection is felt and she doesn't know that you know her reservation can be seen as disinterest um because she's so held back yeah um so i guess she does have a certain self-awareness um social self-awareness and lizzie I think is probably the only one who's self-aware, um, but doesn't realize that she is being duped right now. So that's like her sort of thing. But Mary, my dear Mary, oh, Mary. Mary, who we haven't had the chance to, I mean, she's, she's the pious one. She is, is, you know, the, the ultimate, sort of model she 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 what you need to know about mary is she's horny for mr collins i was yes yes that says everything about who mary is mary mr collins is a fucking dreamboat to mary and seeing she's like you have you have uh um you have uh lydia and Kitty running around, like literally running around this party. They're sitting in like sitting in random chairs. They're taking swords from soldiers oh and God. running. Oh, when when they're like, I was like, oh my God! How do you? And and of course, nobody wants to make a scene. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing. Is like as this is already happening, how do you stop it? As like as as your family is making a fool of itself, how do you stop them without making it worse? And the answer is you cannot. Because as soon as Elizabeth or or um, Jane intervene and like shut it down, it's noticeable. 
And it's like even, it's just worse somehow. So you have Mary on the fucking keyboards, on the piano forte, I should say. Um, just, <laughs> just playing just the, the worst. The well, wor- just Bing- Bingley's like, I would love a song. Yeah. And starts to turn to his sister, and Mary's like, Well, music's my thing. And so she just marches. She doesn't say over shit. She just gets up and goes to the piano before and like and 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 uh 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 what's the name of the sister again, Miss Bingley? Oh um, uh, Caroline. Caroline, Caroline. Uh Caroline's like, Oh, Mr. Bingley, brother, you flatter me, and like gets up with like a smile and is like, Ooh, it's my time to kind of show off or whatever. And Mary just darted over there and is like, All right, here we go. He okay, here's Wonderwall. Like oh, just man. fucking starts blasting. And we've heard her play before. We have not heard her sing, I don't we think. We have not heard her sing. And she's also, a good it's a she's a proficient party. Yeah. She's a proficient piano player. Her singing is not great. Is well, not great. She chooses, and she's choosing the worst songs. It is like, it is like, unironically putting on Nickelback at a house party. That is the comparison I will make here. Yeah, I mean, for it me, the like, thing it evokes for me, it's like Regency Dashboard Confessional, maybe a little bit <laughs> with just the sheer like warbling whining character of the music like people are just trying to have a good time people are about yeah. to eat yeah and it's just this sad sack fucking yeah dirge even even nickelback is more a beat than mary is she's just playing like oh man just the worst nirvana cover yeah you've heard like it's just like it's bad it's bad it's, it's bad and yeah. also it's just not that's not what this is right now. No. Like that's not she assumes a role that is like not hers to fill unfor- like unfortunately. Like I I feel for her. Like she's fifth she's the youngest one. She's you know probably stressed about her prospects too. Yeah. And I think she's Lydia like, might be younger. I think I think it, I thought Mary was the youngest. I can't remember. Um, or maybe it's Kitty. Lydia definitely feels like the baby of the family. I mean, that's the thing is like, I always pictured them as like Lydia and Kitty are like behind Lizzie, but have the sort of like attitude of even younger, but I could be wrong. I could definitely be wrong. Um, so she starts playing. They, she finally finishes this excruciating song. Fucking Lydia and Kitty are running around. And Mr. Bingley is like, all right, thank you, Mary, for giving us that one. Um, And then she immediately starts going into another one. And it's like, oh. And then, and then, finally, Mr. Bennett gets up oh, and is like, I got to shut it down. I got I to gotta fucking pull the plug and, and shut no this shit down. And there's no graceful way to do this. There's no, no, there's, there's not. How do you because they're not your... going to listen to an entire fucking song again. No. How do you haul your baby girl away from the keyboards at a party when she's like just when she's cleared the dance floor? Yeah. Uh, how do you do it? Uh, and the answer is you just got to go up and just politely be like, how about we call it there? You've, enta- you've entertained us long enough. Let's give the other girls a chance. 
Yeah. Oh man, it's yikes. <laughs> yeah, and then you got, but then you also have Mrs. Bennett over dinner, like probably oh. a little loaded. So oh, yeah. she's not like she is just speaking full volume about how great it is that Bingley and Jane are going to get married because that yeah, will. Yeah, she's like, this will be a perfectly nice place to have a wedding, and that will throw the girls into the paths of other rich men. Um. Which is like the ultimate, like saying, like it. You're just saying what you're doing. Yeah. Like you're just, you're just, you're saying the, you're saying the unsaid thing. Yeah. It's, it's utter. Horrible. It's it's just it's it's gruesome. Uh, it it's, is gruesome, it is. and uh, like Elizabeth sees it all happening, cannot prevent it. Uh, it's it's just, truly horrific. Mr. Collins just fucking walks up to Mr. Darcy. Oh my god! Yeah, and, and is then like, I've got great news. <laughs> I've got great like, news. I was just at your 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 aunt is healthy because it turns out Lady Catherine is his aunt. Your aunt is healthy as of like three weeks ago. And Darcy's like, "Who the fuck are you?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm good old Mr. Collins. You don't know me. And then he just like, does he get up and walk away or something? He's like, I'm, I'm done here. Like, he's like, thank you. And then like turns away. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And that is just some shit you do not do. Like what's, what's bewildering to me is how Mr. Collins is like so tight with, Lady Catherine de Bourgh and just has no conception of social manners. Like, how do you, like, he, how has she not shut him down before? Well, because we have to meet Lady, like, so much becomes clear when we meet Lady Catherine. And this is yeah. what I love about this yeah. fucking book is that the Bennets are obviously like kind of publicly disgraced in part because they're poor enough that people can call them out. But there's a lot of people who are every bit is like terribly behaved, but they're rich. And so everyone just kind of goes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is like, I, I've always sort of felt that like to a degree, there's an element of mirroring uh, when you get to get to lady Catherine, uh, who is at mm -hmm. once like very concerned about propriety, but also at the same time may not be proper herself. Um, mm -hmm. But the party's a debacle. Um, and then we go from that into what's kind of felt inevitable since this episode started. Uh, and this is, this is really well played by Jennifer L. Mm -hmm. It is clear that Mr. Collins is making his move. God, I forgot that this all happens in one episode. Yeah, no, dude, episode two is so packed. So it's clear he's making his move. He is approaching Elizabeth with uh, her mother. Oh, and uh, so upset. Mrs. Bennett's like, Lizzie, Mr. Collins has something he'd like to say to you. And Lizzie, in a panic, turns to Kitty and is like, please do not leave me. And it's it's really kind of like it's a heart like she knows what's going to happen is going to be horrific and there's no escaping this. Um, it is an excruciating sequence. Um, Mr. Collins' proposal is the most. First of all, 
Mr. Collins' proposal basically seems to be, I am so into Lady Catherine. And she would love for me to get married. And I would love to get married to make Lady Catherine happy. Mm-hmm. You seem like you'll do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's his proposal. That's it. He's like, Lady Crath- Lady Catherine thinks I should get married. And you're thinks poor. It would, thinks it would be good for me. You're poor. She'll see it as a benevolent act or whatever the fuck. And let's do this thing. And Lizzie is like, uh, no. 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 Please, God, no. And Mr. Collins' response is like, I can only assume that you denying me is to grow is to make my affection stronger. And as 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 is the as is the typical trait of of ladies. Elegant females. He says elegant elegant females. females. Late people everywhere. If a man calls people females stay the fuck away they, stay the like, fuck away Jane Austen knew this stay back the in away. the day and she was like this is a weird way to put stuff right this is a weird way to talk yeah a hundred fucking percent and she's like I am not like I'm not trying to play you here I'm not fu- I'm not like saying no because I really mean yes and I just want you to like try a little harder and like come at me again with like something a little stronger like maybe bring some I don't know more flowers or some shit she's like no no means no I don't want to marry you I don't care what my mom has told you I'm not here for this please stop you're embarrassing both of us like this is just bad and he just is unrelenting and she just has to like lay down the law for him and it's like oh it's she, horrible she just has to walk out on him and it's the first yeah, moment she has, like, you almost feel bad for like david bamber play it becomes so pathetic at that moment because like yeah. you can tell like he has also been nervous trying to get through this and her just yeah. like getting up and just like look you're not hearing me i'm fucking done yeah. And like he ends up just talking to an empty room and he's just so sweaty and desperate. It's the saddest shit, but it also sets up the moment. And this is why, like I, I let, you know, we led this off. Mr. Bennett is problematic. Mr. Bennett is a shitty husband. Um, has, as we'll see more of, has really set the stage for a lot of things to go wrong for this family yeah. and has not taken any responsibility for it. But this is kind of the moment where I'm like, I'll still fuck with Mr. Call uh, with Mr. Bennett, right? Yeah, yeah. This is his one re- redeeming moment, and it for the same. And this is the thing: like when I when I approach things like this, I kind of have to look at them from two from two angles. Like one, how were these characters meant to be received in their context in the time, and then how do we relate to it now? Right? Like what yeah. do what like what what are people going to be reading into it now? Um. And I think Mr. Collins, by contemporary, by by values of of, of that era, not Mr. Collins, Mr. Bennett, mm-hmm. what does make him, what he does here is really unusual. And what what happens is Mrs. Bennett is fucking putting the screws to Lizzie. You are gonna marry Mr. Collins. Like yeah. this needs to fucking happen. And Mrs. Mrs. Bennett has a point. Like again, this family is headed over a cliff. Mm-hmm. Like, Mr. Mr. Bennett is clearly older. 
they're going to lose the estate. There's not going to be much money left. Um, like disaster is lurking. Mr. Collins is offering right now the only lifeboat, the only guarantee right now, the only guarantee, uh, until Jane's marriage comes through. This is the only sure thing that would prevent a debacle for the whole family. Yeah. So I get why this is so important to her. Yeah. But she is putting the screws to Lizzie and is like, you're going to marry this fucking guy. Yeah. And she goes to Mr. Bennett to put his foot down. And he still has to be a bit of a dick about it. He's still like, mm-hmm. send Lizzie in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has to play his game. Yeah. It has to be fun for him. Yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, though, I do. So he says, you know, he lays out. He's like, so Lizzie, uh, if you do not marry Mr. Collins, your mother's never going to speak to you again. Uh, so from this day forward, you're going to have to be a stranger to one of your parents. Uh, your mother will never speak to you if you don't Mr. M- marry Mr. Collins. And he sort of grins at Mrs. Bennett just to really like stick the knife in. And mm-hmm. I will never speak to you again if you do. And it devastates Mrs. Bennett. And I think the cruelty of this again is like easy to overlook. But like, man, the degree to which he fucks with her relentlessly throughout the course of their yeah. marriage is, yeah. is really off-putting. At the same time, I can't help but kind of like a guy who at this moment basically puts cards on the table and is like, Lizzie can do whatever the fuck she wants, which is unusual for this era, right? The the commitment to Lizzie, at least, is going to have freedom of choice in who her marriage partner is going to be, what her life is going to be. And uh-huh. that is like unusual. And I kind of, I can't help but kind of like Mr. Bennett for basically putting his foot down and taking that taking that threat that's been hanging over Lizzie's head probably for her whole life just yeah. off the table. Yeah. Yeah. I I think about this and I'm like, what if Mary had said that she loves me? Like, you know, like Mary, Mary, like, has affection for Mr. Collins, like straight up likes him. Yep. Like straight up has a crush on Mr. Collins and that's like her ideal man's. What if it had been Mary? What if it had been Mary? But it's not. It's Charlotte. Oh, <gasps> fuck. Well, I mean, that's already set up at the end of the Wait. episode. Because the end of the episode. Do they? No, so, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, it is. Wait. The end of the episode is so. I thought Ms. I just. <laughs> no, I mean, like, like Mr. Bennett says you're not going to you don't have to marry this guy. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if Mary, like if Mr. Collins had had the intelligence to like if Mr. Collins had like seen that Mary oh, was right, into right, him, right. like would that have been the worst thing? I don't know. I, I still suspect like Mary deserves better. Like Mary's a kid. Sure. And she needs to like, yeah, also get Mary's through a this child. phase. Well, yeah. Mary needs to get through this phase where like her whole thing is being the prim and proper one and like figure out who she yeah. really is independent yeah. of defining herself against her sisters. Yeah. But the end of the episode, so all hell is broken loose. Uh, the family is just like at, in civil war over this refusal of the proposal. And Charlotte is walking up the driveway as Lydia and Kitty escape. And they mm-hmm. lay out the situation to Charlotte. And Charlotte's like, oh, poor Mr. Collins. Maybe I should have him over for dinner. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, please just get him the fuck out of here. We cannot handle this guy anymore. And they yeah. leave. And there's this moment where Charlotte begins to walk toward the house and she stops. 
and you see this sort of like realization and then acceptance and determination pass through her face and she resumes her journey to the house. Mm. And I've always loved, it's this little, I don't know. I always found that it kind of a heartbreaking moment. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think Charlotte makes her de- like, we'll get to this in the next episode. Charlotte makes her own decision. She has good reasons yeah. for doing it. It may not yeah. be a bad decision, but it's still heartbreaking at the end of this episode to realize how quickly like kind of Charlotte's period is like a young unattached woman is, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, it's not quite like childhood's end, but it is the end of that entire, like what independence she is going to get in some yeah. ways as a young woman. Yeah. She knows it's ending. Yeah. But also Charlotte is older than yeah. Lizzie, like significantly. Like she's uh you know, she I don't think this is this is really conveyed at least in the first couple episodes in the BBC, but in um the film you come to understand that she's like past her prime basically. Mm. Like she's past mar- like prime marrying age. And so in in uh in the film you don't get as much of the agency that you get in the in the BBC series. Like yeah. you you sort of and we'll get to it in the third episode, you sort of see glimmers of it, but it does seem like a last resort in the film. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate so much about the BBC is the the agency that Charlotte has here in in deciding her fate because she didn't need to have the, what relation is she to the Mr. Collins? She didn't need to have him over. She didn't like she yeah. this this was like this was this was her. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah, and we're like she has a sort of realistic view about what is possible for mm-hmm. women in her position. But also, again, she is simply not romantic the way Lizzie is. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But, like, she has this kind of, look, the world runs on – like, the world runs on money. It runs on material. We just have to accept that reality and behave mm-hmm. accordingly. And it's not a choice Lizzie would have made, but I, I do like that the the series is more respectful of the choices Charlotte makes and the things she does yeah. get out of it. Uh, but nevertheless, it sort of ends on this note of Mr. Collins is leaving. He's going to Lucas Lodge uh, and he is exiting uh, at least the – uh, romantic world of the Bennets. He's he's leaving them as a potential as a potential match, and uh, the future is uncertain. And Mrs. Bennet is gutted. But yeah, so that that is sort of where the first two episodes uh, leave off. Um, it's amazing how much happens. It's amazing. There's a lot to set up. There's a lot to set up. Yeah. There's there are so many characters in this in this series. There's so many moving parts. There's there's a lot there's a lot to talk about, so we had to talk about it all. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing we we have to get to in the next episode um, because we're, we're, we'll be approaching the turn, and it's too much to get into right now. But to what degree is Darcy like your archetypal like negging asshole, like? This is the other part of this is like mm-hmm. things get off to a bad foot. To what degree is he like a- adopting that shitty pickup artist tactic of like 
negging, negging a woman uh, to make her insecure and like vulnerable to his advances. Um, mm-hmm. And to what degree has this portrayal that romanticizes Darcy and like fucking Colin Firth's like uh, per- g- perfectly geometric sideburns. <laughs> yeah. I, just, yes. Yeah, sm- his smoldering, like the, the dude is perfect to what degree does also romanticize a character who probably his gracelessness probably could have been foregrounded more. Yeah. Um, so that's something else we, we should get to because things are going to turn. We're going to learn more about the character. He gets rehabilitated over the course of the story to some degree, but this, this opening stage, these, these opening impressions that Lizzie gets to what degree, uh, is dark Darcy also kind of a toxic character in the legacy he leaves behind. Uh, I think it's something mm-hmm. to, to tackle for next time, but, uh, that is where we will leave it for now. um, there is a thing that I say at the end of this. There is. I do not have in front of me. It is. Oh, yes. Our thanks. <laughs> <laughs> to Two Mellow for our theme music. You can find that. At. Two. That's the numeral two. Mellowmakes.bandcamp.com. And you can follow him at Mellowmakes on Twitter. You can keep up with all of us at. Oh, I'm not handling any of these 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 social <laughs> handles, Natalie. This is you take this cop. I can't. <laughs> you can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. We're on Twitter at waypoint, Facebook at waypoint vice, and YouTube at waypoint vice. The waypoint vice thing fucks me up. I just can't. I just cannot handle it. I know. Uh, I know. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. You can follow Danielle at Danielle Ri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie, where can people follow you? You can follow me at Natalie Watson, and you can follow our producer, Kato, at A underscore Kato underscore appears. All right. If you enjoy this or uh, any other episode of, of Be Good and Rewatch It or Waypoint's other podcasts, please do rate and review us uh, uh, in, in the iTunes store or whatever your podcast platform is choice. Uh, it's a big help uh, if you do. Not to, not to push you in any direction, but I like to think, uh, you know, we are – we're a five star podcast. Uh, we're, we're 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 maximal. Uh, is the, I is would the agree. Way I put it. Yeah, uh, but hey, just listen to your heart is is all I'll say. <laughs> uh, anyway, that will do it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with episodes three and four of the nineteen ninety five Pride and Prejudice. Uh, God knows how long that one's going to go, but uh, hope you've enjoyed <laughs> this this deepest of dives into the first two episodes of Pride and Prejudice. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
question. Yeah. How far do you think we're going to get? How Doesn't long? look good for three episodes now. How do like, we? How long do we have the three room? Three hour pod. Three hour. Pod. Do we have the room? How all long day? do we have the room for? This is our room. This is our room. Oh, okay. I mean, the the question is. I also might just get tired at a yeah. certain. Like, I'm, like, <laughs> we have the twenty um, at two. Oh uh, yeah, we have the twenty at two. At okay. two. Okay. Also, we also uh, need to eat. Yeah, and eating. Yeah. at some point. Um. And we do have to pot again. We don't want that to be trash, I suppose, even right. though it it will be lighter. Yeah. Yeah. So my guess is we get through one and two. Yeah. Like, I think we're going to get through the proposal. This could um, be a three part. pot. No, not the it, it could be like when the series was broadcast, it was broadcast in twos, uh, that's, okay. by the way. Um, but. I like Mr. Collins' proposal. I think might be where we leave this off. Okay. Um, which mm-hmm. is the end of episode two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that might like we'll see where we're at. Yeah. Because uh, also we just laid a lot of dense groundwork. Yeah. For this. Like it could move faster from here. Yeah. It Who might. It might. Who could say? We'll see. The problem is the rosing shit is super dense too. That's the other problem. Is like once you mm. get to rosings, mm-hmm. you basically have to do another deep dive into like a minute by minute bl- breakdown. Yeah, because all of yeah. Yeah, Rosings yeah, the class a, dynamics, the gender, yeah. It's just so fucking much. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, so we're two hours in, and we're uh, still on the first episode. We got two <laughs> more episodes. We, this is, this podcast is longer than the first episode we discussed, which, uh, you know, is not wild for criticism, but um, I done fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> What do we do? All right, cool. Bye. Oh, I forgot we don't have to sign out. I forgot. (laughs) Peace. I was like, aren't you going to fucking say thanks to Peace. To Mellow? Nope. No, I'm just going to render this file. Uh, (laughs) Render this file on Takato. Render render on Takato as Kato Render. Doth Render. Oh, good job, everybody. Um, Thank you. That was good. That was was great. Sorry it went on. I am bad at moving this. Like, I like talking about the show too much. No, I think, I mean, I think it was all necessary. I don't think we were like double backing, like, you know, like repeating ourselves or whatever. I think it is just like, there's so much context here. And there's, there are a lot of characters in this. Yeah. In this, like, it's kind of obscured because, or you don't really think about it because it's just like everyone moves so effortlessly through like with each other, but it is like a lot of people to talk about. So, Oh, it's a very dense and long. Yeah. We literally have not talked about Charlotte yet. Who's like one of the most fascinating characters. She's great. She has a worldview. That's like key to understanding what the fuck is happening. Yes. You're burning pot. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Tomorrow. 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 So much. Uh, The real thing is that, What's the, the real thing? The sa- sob and bubble. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's a bubble of sadness. Yeah. I want to protect him. I love it so much. <laughs> I want it to find comfort in me. And I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Go Can we turn me down just a little bit, see there? Uh, that yeah, helps. Yeah. Thank you. Um. That's perfect. The fire bunny is really cute. Score bunny. I want score. I saw a tweet today that was like, 
uh, <laughs> that was like tired. I want Score Bunny to run fast with me and light my blunts or something. And I was like, <laughs> that's not tired. Nah. And then no, the wired was like, I want this anxiety ridden frog. <laughs> The frog and is cute. It's like a frog parrot, though. It's like it has a beak. It's so cute. Uh, it is what's, cute. His, what's what's their name? Nibelian. Yeah, the fucking the fucking we. It was there all along. No. Um. Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Can you please send that to me? I need that yeah, for personal it's reasons. So fucking good. Uh, I'm really interested into what the theme of Sword and Shield will mean. Am I going to kill someone with a sword? Absolutely. <laughs> am I going to defend someone with a shield? If Am I... Mm, I want to equip my Pokemon with a fucking sword immediately sword yeah. yeah just <laughs> i know just give just give sobble an age slash <laughs> and there's a fucking shield but isn't the one of the age slash is the yeah. shield and sword yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Both. wait there's another one too isn't there a shield another sh- one that's just a sword like a big ass it's like a yeah. Scimitar ass looking thing. Yeah, that's uh the first um uh first evolution of Aegislash. It's Oh, is it? Aegislash oh evolution. Dual yeah. Yeah, something dual blade. blade. Okay, dual blade. So just, here's Aegislash, which is comes from It's it's comes from where are you, child? <laughs> <laughs> dual blade. Okay, it's it's a slightly different one. I think Hone it might be edge. a legendary. That's it. Yeah, that's Hone the edge. first Hone evolution. Edge. And then, and then when you yeah. when you love when you evolve it, you fucking start dual wielding, yeah. <laughs> and you get a <laughs> dual blade. I, I, I'll, actually, like Aegislash is the wrong level in there, right? You got yeah, Aegislash single sword. Should sword be and, board, and then dual wielding. Yeah, like, dual wielding's the million. yeah. That's fucking the tightest thing you can do. Yeah. not fucking hold the shield no. like, ooh, a shield. No, I'm fucking dual wielding in this bitch. I'm fucking. I'm Roxas. <laughs> anyway, good day. I saw. Wait, I saw. Uh, what did I see? A Kingdom Hearts thing. Never mind. <laughs> good day. I'll send it to you, Kato. It was really good. Okay, let's see. Hi, Rob. Hey, what's up? I'm talking about Pokemons. <laughs> Jane Eyre and the Pokemon. Snap. If Jane, if, okay, if Elizabeth was a Pokemon, who would she be? She would be... The cool fire cat. Ooh. From Fennekin. the last one. Fennekin? Oh, okay. I could see that. I could see that. Um, IMO, uh, Jane would be Gardevoir. Yeah. Jane would be Gardevoir. (laughs) Mary would be fucking, uh, I don't know. Some goth goth motherfucker. Goth, but religious. Oh, yeah, Gothalita. I forgot about the... Goth Pokemon. <laughs> What's the garbage Pokemon? Uh, Garbage Sore. That's Garbador. Darcy. 
<laughs> Sorry. I can't pretend not to love garbage men. <laughs> so that's my weakness. <laughs> yeah, this is Mary. What's Gothelita's uh, evolution? evolution? Yeah. It's fucking uh, Gothelita. This might, be, this might be good for the end of the podcast. <laughs> this might actually Here it is. On. Here it is. Gothelita oh, or Gothita. Oh, wow. Yeah, there yep. it is. Gothitelle is extremely merry. Yeah. I am a... Good. Good. <sighs> All right, let's 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 light this candle. I'm down. Just like Flitwick. Ha ha ha! Wow. Topical! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like Pokemon. Pokemon's good. Quite a bit, actually. Pokemon's extremely good. I'm pissed that there's random encounters again. Oh, that's annoying. Mm. Boo. Just let that go. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to fucking be harassed by Pokemon. Mm-mm. You done You done clacking? Yep. Ricardo, look at the thing I sent you. You can look at it on full screen. It's safe for work. <laughs> it's safe for work. I was leaving this set up. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck! <laughs> I really need to cry this morning. I know. It's the first thing I saw this morning. I was like, nah, I'm already in my Can't. feelings. Can't even. <laughs> oh, it's it. so good. It's so fucking good. God damn it. Okay. All right. Um, Hi. I'm on is. Me too, I am. All right, call the time. Uh, seven. I was too fast. <laughs> I was very on the actual turning oh, instead of meeting the center. Meeting the center. Okay. Um, it's not a bit. It's just my, I'm bad at this. Okay. Uh, 26. Okay. That, that was, was better. better. I got to just get to the center of the number rather than meeting it at the top. That's how you do time dot is. All right. This is going to be a really dense episode. Yeah, I'm really excited. Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like is is part 3. We'll see where we are when we're done discussing the first two parts. Yeah. That uh, that just dinner scene or the party scene in in number 2. Yeah, I like, can talk oh. about that for days. Yeah, same. So, kind right. of turn me down just a little bit more. Thank you. I guess let's just see how far we go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, do it. All right.